Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. Joined by, uh, this week by my guy, John. Uh, you guys can follow him, obviously, at MMA Fox. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 44, headlined by Rob Font and Jose. Although, stumbled a little bit on the intro, but that's what happens when we have a week off. John, what have you been doing with this uh, one week off from uh, from this UFC circus that we've been having all year? I've been trying to get ahead on tape, you know, enjoy my hanging out with the family a bit more. But yeah, I mean, I've I've actually gotten almost all the way out to the last card of the year, courtesy of you getting the whole tape index up early. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I am I have been jonesing for some fights. I have severe anxiety about the uh, month hiatus we have coming up in a couple weeks. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah, absolutely. We got three events coming up to end off the year here. And then we got, uh, I believe, two or three weekends off. January, December 18th is the last event of the year. January 15th is the first event of next year. So uh, strap onto your hats, folks. We Enjoy as much as you can for the next three weeks because it, there will be a giant lull. But yeah, uh, exactly. Tape Index is fully updated for the rest of the year. Uh, my goal is actually to put on the first event of next year by tomorrow morning. So you guys, uh, awesome. if you want to get jonesing on the next event, you guys more than welcome to hop on the tape index i believe the link is in the description below another link that is in the description below is the club and sub podcast with john actually hosts every wednesday night at 10 p.m eastern sometimes it's leg sometimes it's luke sometimes it's c this past week it was our guy sean Orr as well i know your club and sub crew over there is hurting a little bit but glad that we have a very solid community of guys that are more than happy to jump in for whether it's my show your show anybody's show uh we always have some guys ready to go so make sure you guys go check it out link is in the description below all right let's not waste any more motherfucking time we got 15 fights to get through, so let's just get get right to it. First and foremost, we got Luis Spoko going up against Vince Morales. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at uh, minus 150 for Luis Smoka, plus 130 for Vince Morales. Uh, I, I like this spot a lot for uh, Luis Smoka, honestly. I, I, I went pretty deep on him here myself. I, I'm not a big fan of Vince Morales. I don't think he's really UFC level, per se. Even though he has a couple wins inside the UFC, those fights... Uh, his opponents allowed him to pretty much dictate the pace and fight the fight that he wanted. Eamon Zahabi, Draco Rodriguez, fighting this guy at boxing range, pretty much where he thrives. Um, we did see when he does get pushed in that grappling room, he does succumb a little bit, right? Draco Rodriguez was able to have some success in that second round by landing three takedowns. Didn't get the most uh, control time or anything, but was enough to at least get the judges uh, to score that round for him. Ultimately, he was not able to replicate that in the third round and ends up losing that decision. However, Luis Smolka... That guy, once he gets that grappling going, this guy is very uh, smothering from on top. Uh, he transitions very well. His jiu-jitsu is top-notch, and he's always looking for the finish. I do think that it will take a little bit of an adjustment period for him in that first round, dealing with Vince Morales. But after that, I think Morales is going to start to succumb to the, the pressure that uh, Luis Mocha throws with, which is hilarious because he's not the fastest guy, but he stays in front of your face and just throws volume and just tries to, you know, just tries to wear you out. And that is perfectly evident in his three wins since coming back to the UFC. He did to Sumadar more so with the grapple heavy approach uh he did to ryan mcdonald obviously just dig into the body and then eventually knocking him out to the head and then obviously last time around where he was able to dispatch of um uh why is that name escaping me right now john help me out uh, uh jose alberto canones yes canones he ends up grinding pounding him in the second round uh so vince Morales might have a successful first round but after that i think he's going to start to get drowned out here by smoke and i actually think that smoke will end up finishing him here as well once he gets him to the ground we did see domingo parlarte uh be able to submit uh mr vince Morales in his ufc debut i do think that smoke will be able to replicate a similar style here so the prop that i like uh smoke by sub 
plus 365. Kind of surprised that it's that wide considering how smothering he is with his jiu-jitsu game. I'd honestly say maybe even the inside the distance is a little bit safer considering that he could just go for that TKO, which is exactly what he did for uh, uh, Canones. But uh, if you want to go for a specific one, I would prefer the submission over KO. But if you don't want to be too greedy, just go with the inside the distance, which is still around plus 200-ish if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but yeah, I like Smoka here, Smoka inside the distance. Please let me know what you feel about this matchup, brother. Yeah, I love Smolka in this spot, to be honest. I'm on him pretty big. I think I have him at like minus 135, but I even think the minus 150 where it's at right now could be a, quite a bit wider. I, you know, the funny thing is I was a pretty big Vince Morales guy for a while. You know, I bet him against Chris Gutierrez, and that went terribly, obviously. <laughs> uh, I bet him again in his last fight against Shaka Rodriguez, and he won. But, you know, that fight, you know, going into it, I was on him pretty big there, and I did not think Draco Rodriguez should have presented any problems for him at all. Like, I just do not really rate Draco Rodriguez at all. And that ended up being a close, low-volume fight. And to me, more so than really any other fight in his entire UFC history, that's concerning. Because Draco is just not a UFC-level guy, like, anywhere. And he managed to have a competitive striking fight here. Um, the other thing is, you know, Morales, if you give him a tepid low boxing kickboxing or low volume kickboxing match, he can be pretty competitive with anybody because he is a good technical boxer. The problem is he's not really a big hitter. Uh, he's not super athletic. He's kind of slow. And when he's forced to basically when he gets backed up, he kind of collapses. And when he's on bottom, he's very poor there as well. Now, on the other side, I will say I think uh, Morales is a pretty good wrestler. And so I'm not sure how much wrestling success Smolka will have here because I would say uh, as pure wrestlers uh, Morales is probably a bit better but I do think Smolka is the much better grappler and if he does get on top of him he's going to do bad things to him but on the feet look I mean Morales is more technical but Smolka is so much more physical he hits so much harder and he throws so much more you know if you're looking for a guy to beat Vince Morales you want someone who's going to go forward on him stay in his face and put out volume and Smolka does all of those things you know he is bigger than Morales is He's more physical. He hits harder, like I said. He throws a lot more strikes, and he's going to pressure pretty much nonstop. Uh, on top of which, you know, look, Morales, obviously, he's fought a couple of good fighters, and he hasn't looked great when he has. Whereas, you know, the only guys to really beat Louis Smolka are top-level fighters throughout his entire career. You know, he really doesn't have a single bad boss, um, and he's got a lot of good wins. You know, like, I look at the last fight for Smolka, and you see – Teco Quinones, who honestly I would say is a better version of Vince Morales. He has better movement laterally. He's, I think, a little bit faster with his hands. He's more physical. He's a better, you know, better all-around grappler. And look, Quinones had a good start to that fight until Smolka then eventually broke him. And I kind of think that's what's going to happen here. You know, like I said, I think Morales is a worse version of Quinones. I think it's going to be a similar fight, except unlike Quinones, who was able to pivot off an angle whenever he got backed up. I don't think Morales has that in his toolkit. I think Smolka stays in his face, and I think he probably finishes him. Uh, in terms of props that I like, probably Smolka ITV plus 210. You know, you could, I guess, make a case for Smolka by decision. The problem for me is, like, who is he decisioning? He finishes yeah. almost every, you know, all, you know, Smolka is the guy who's going to force finishes pretty much against yeah. everybody. And like I said, you know, I don't think he's a great wrestler. But when he, I do have to assume if he attempts five, six takedowns, he's going to get him down once or twice. And if he does, he's going to put him in bad places, in my opinion. So I like Smolka quite a bit in this spot. Yeah, if Vince Morales uh, maybe threw with a little bit more heat, I'd be a little bit more yeah. uh, concerned. But there's really not much to, to go off there. It doesn't seem like he has much pop on his shots. And I feel like whatever he throws at Smoka, Smoka should be able to eat and keep chugging on for it. So I'm glad that we're on the same spot here. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got, uh, I believe it is 
yeah, uh, Azamat Merzikhanov going up against Jared Vandera. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus uh, 210 for Merzikhanov, plus 175 for Vandera. Now, this is Merzikhanov's UFC debut, obviously coming off the Contender Series. He had an amazing finish over there, I believe, three minutes into his fight. Uh, and then he gets the contract here. 10-0, 35-year-old, which is interesting. Not really a, a prospect, per se, but, you know, a little bit... Uh, uh, a little bit greenish in the in the fact that he only has ten fights, but when you see him fight, he's you know he's pretty good in my opinion. Has that karate type style where he kind of darts in and out with the strikes. Um, but when he wants to get the fight to the ground, more often than not, he's able to do so. However, there's a couple interesting things regarding this fight. Uh, originally scheduled to fight Marcin Pracnell, Pracnell pulls out. That was supposed to be at 205. In steps Philippe Lins, making a 265 fight. Philippe Lins pulls out, and in comes. <laughs> towering six foot four jared vandera 80 inch reach we're talking about a six inch height advantage as well as a nine inch reach advantage for jared vandera giving me feels of luana carolina and uh, lupita godinas for a couple weeks ago where we know who the better fighter is but are you going to be able to go out there and showcase that tonight against uh, a goliath in a sense right with the loose uh term there <clears throat> excuse me it is still the morning, hence the voice. I apologize, guys. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my concern here. I, I am picking Azamat to win. I think his best way to win this fight is if he keeps it standing and kind of uses his ability ability and his speed uh, as his advantage compared to Jared Vandera, who's a little bit more slow and, and plodding in a sense, right? Because if Mirzakhanov goes out there and tries to grapple Vandera, that's a lot of weight to try to throw around, especially when you're such a smaller uh, heavyweight. I think he's even a small, light heavyweight, to be honest. So it's going to be interesting to see how he deals with that size. Uh, the Vandera Tafa performance always sticks out to me because everybody's yeah. like, the way Vandera wins this fight, he needs to drag this to the ground. Otherwise, he's going to get lit up on the feet. However, he goes out there and absolutely lights Justin Tafa up on the feet. And it seems like his game plan in that fight was just throw more. Whenever Tafa throws, I'm going to throw a couple more strikes so that I'm always ending up, you know, with the last laugh, with the last punch in the exchange. And the judges obviously saw that in that fight, giving him the decision there. I would be surprised if Azamad tries to drag this to the ground and gas himself out doing so. For me, I feel like he needs to keep it on the feet, get in and out as best as he can. Again, nine-inch reach disadvantage he's going to be at. He's he's going to really have to use that speed to get in and out. So I like Azamad KO plus 120, but I don't have uber confidence in it. Again, the size difference could play a huge part in this fight, which is ultimately why I'm going to be staying off this fight myself. I'm picking Azmat, Azmat by uh, KO plus one plus 120, but I'm not touching that minus 200 at this point in time. Let's see what this guy has. But again, this, this is like an exhibition belt for him almost, taking this up at 265 pounds. We saw him on the regional scene against Guto and Assange, who was obviously a former UFC fighter. That guy was towering over him as well. But like, you know, he was struggling at times to get him to the ground. He did get him to the ground, but it was really tough for him to do so. Now you got a bigger Jared Vandera to deal with. I just have my question marks about this fight. So I'm staying off it. The pick is Azamat, but the KO or yeah, the KO is my favorite prop on this one. Please. I know I'm pretty sure you have a play on, on Jared here. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that one. Yeah. I think Azamat's a bum. If I'm being completely honest, oh, wow. um, that's, yeah, I, I do. I, um, I, you know, what could go wrong with a minus 235 year old kickboxer who's low volume was training to fight a light heavyweight. And now is fighting a guy who weighs in at the heavyweight max. Seriously. Um, my, I don't really think any, you know, obviously Mirzakhanov hits well. He's had, hits hard. He's had a bunch of KOs. I think he has seven first round KOs, something like that. Um, but if you watch him fight, you know, he's pretty much consistently losing minutes until he wins the fight, you know. And it's mostly against 205ers. You know, it's every fight. It's like kind of just waiting to throw that looping overhand left. <clears throat> and now he's fighting a guy who 
is not low volume at all. You know, we saw Jared Bandera attempt 200 strikes against Justin Taffa in that fight. And on top of which, Jared Bandera is very durable. I mean, look at that Taffa fight. Is it possible Merzikhanov hits harder than Taffa? It's possible. But Taffa's a big heavyweight, and he was landing flush on Bandera and not really hurting him at all, to be completely honest. And so now you have Bandera, who you touched on the size aspect. He's got a six-inch height and nine-inch reach disadvantage. And like I said, Bandera is a guy who weighs in at the fucking heavyweight limit at 265 pounds. Merzikhanov's training to fight at 205. He's probably going to be giving up 40, 45 pounds in there. Um, on top of which, it, the, the thing to get Bandera and the way but Bandera's big weakness has always been is the grappling. Um, Merzikhanov did grapple with Grudo Innocente, as you mentioned. But I don't really think his wrestling is any good, if I'm being completely honest. You know, his shots don't really impress me. And then in top, you know, he's not a guy like a Romanov or a Spivak who's going to smash you on top. It really is more just trying to lay in guard and control the position. Um, I think you touched on it with the Carolina Lupita comparison here. It's going to be really tough for him to get takedowns. One, because of the size. Um, and number two, you know, I just look. We just watched Jared Vandera fight Alexander Romanov. Now, obviously, he lost that fight and he looked like the big dog that he was. But he worked up about four times on Fermano takedowns before he finally succumbed to him there. I think he can pretty much just give his back up and stand up here. Uh, on minutes, I favor Vandera pretty clearly. My big concern in this fight is the Vandera coming in on short notice. Like I don't know how hard he's been training. I tried to find some data on it, and I couldn't find a ton. And so that's a concern, especially with the kind of pace he fights at, you know, he could potentially gas himself out six minutes into this fight. Um, if he wasn't on short notice, I'd be huge on Bandera here. Uh, I think he's the better fighter, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but as it is, I bet Bandera for a unit and a half here at a plus 175. I think this line is a great line. I think it's one of, you know, Sean said it on my podcast this week. But, you don't, you know, you get these spots once every couple months, and you have to smash them when you see them. Um, in terms of props here, it's kind of a weird one because, like, I don't really trust Merzikhanov's cardio, but I also don't really think Vandera is a huge hitter. So, like, I'm kind of torn. I, I guess I would say over one and a half. And if you force me to, you know, make a prop on somebody, I'd probably say Vandera by KO plus 500. But I don't feel super comfortable about props. And Vandera plus 175 is a real nice, um, real nice line, in my opinion. Yeah, these this is an example of one of those fights where like when you already have a big underdog, we don't need to get too greedy with the props. Yeah. I know this is a prop show, and we obviously have to give you which one we we uh, favor most. But again, don't don't get too greedy if you if you do like the underdog here. And again, probably the biggest X factor in this fight alone, our guy John Kelly DFS. The nail polish color on Vandera <laughs> is going to determine whether he gets this knockout or not. So shout out to our guy John Kelly over there in the in the chat. All right, let's keep this fight. <clears throat> sorry, let's keep this moving along. <clears throat> excuse me jesus my my throat is not playing with me this morning but let's let's get through we got fucking uh 13 more fights to get through and next up we got claudio poyas going up against chris gritzmacher in terms of odds we gotta pick him here uh gritzmacher did actually open up uh as a sizable favorite i believe he opened up around minus yeah minus 150 minus 160 and the heavy money coming in on claudio poyas to make this a pick and fight and i kind of agree with it however i, I slightly side with the poyas side a little bit more i do think that his athleticism and his ability to 
uh, his transitions were pretty flawless in that fight against Jordan Levitt, who a lot of people thought would be able to, you know, tie Poyas up in, in a pretzel yeah. on that fight. If you remember the odds of that fight, I think it was roughly around minus 200 for Levitt that night, and everybody was calling me crazy for taking Poyas that night, but they just completely overlooked, you know, the the fact that he was coming over off of uh, such a long layoff, and he actually does have a decent grappling background of his own. I gave him a slight striking advantage in that, well, not slight, a massive striking advantage over Jordan Levitt in that fight, because Jordan Levitt is pure doo-doo, to be honest. Um, in this fight, I give him a slight technical advantage in the striking, but Gritzmarker has that, well, he has that grit about him, right? He has that durability to just keep coming forward and, and really put it on you. But I think that Poyas should be able to deal with it here. I think his striking is decent enough to deal with that forward pressure. And then when it comes to takedowns, I think he'll be able to land some takedowns here. Um, I don't know if he'll have extended periods of being able to control Grits on the ground, but I think that he'll be able to get him down enough and have enough uh, success on the feed to kind of sway the judges in his favor. Uh, Grits is always tough to fade, right? Obviously, a lot of people learned that yeah. last time around trying to take Hoffa Garcia at, at uh, minus 300, except our guy over here, MMA Fox, who's always trying to be the, uh, be the contrarian. But it paid off for him that night. Uh, I, what did you get Grits market that night? Do you remember? Plus 240? Plus 265, something Plus like 265, that. Plus 265, absolutely crazy <laughs> line. But again, a lot of recency bias going into that fight, right? People saw him get starched by Alexander Hernandez the fight before. They're expecting Garcia to do the same thing. But we can't always put so much stock in that standing knockout. Shout out to my guy, AJ MMA Betting, who always kind of preaches that. Like, we put way too much stock in guys getting a knockout on the feet compared to the ground and pound finishes. There are a lot of bit more reliable and less uh less volatile but uh here with uh grits i think it's going to come down to who wins grappling exchanges guaranteed this fight is going to t uh, turn into a grappling fight and i do think that poyas has the chops to stay a step ahead of grits mocker in this fight and deal with that pressure so i'm going poyas poyas by decision is a prop that i like here uh i, I do think he has opportunity to submit uh grits marker if i'm not mistaken poyas is a brown belt um and that's kind of his bread and butter right is getting the fight to the ground and really grinding on these guys and looking for openings for submissions uh his submission prop is currently sitting at plus 460 which i don't really mind but i do think ultimately he's going to grind this fight out over 15 minutes and win a decision plus 210 is the poyas decision prop how are you feeling about this matchup, brother? Yeah, it's like a it's a weird fight because I actually do. I mean, I guess on paper, I should say I like Grits a decent bit here. The problem is for me, and like I also bet Poyless against Levitt, but that had as much to do with the fact that I really don't think Jordan Levitt is a UFC level fighter. Um, as you know, me really liking Poyless, and what did we really see that fight? Yeah, he's a decent grappler. Um, but you know, after six minutes, leave it pretty much death gassed and let him pretty much just ride him out on top, like fairly easily. And the only other data we have from Quellis is like four years earlier. And so I don't really think he can control Gritzmacher, but and I think on the feet, Gritzmacher should be a lot better. But but with that said, it's four years and we haven't seen a lot of data from Puelas in those four years. So that does make me a bit nervous. You know, without the four-year gap, I'd probably be on Gritzmacher for fairly big here. But with the four-year gap, I'll probably take a small step. I just think I look and look at the guy, the two guys who subbed Gritzmacher were Hamos and Skelly. And even both of them, and Davi Hamos is one of the best submission grapplers in the world. And even both of them really struggled to control him for most of those fights uh joe lauzon didn't have a lot of success grappling him and like i put all three of those guys as significantly better grapplers than, than Puelas. and on the feet like i do think unless there have been substantial improvements over the last four years which at 26 is very possible but unless there have been substantial improvements there i kind of think gritzmacher is going to break him if i'm being completely honest um 
That said, Gritzmacher isn't classically a finish guy. Uh, you know, the last time he finished, I believe, was Lauzon. That was Lauzon just death gas, and they basically stopped yeah. the fight on the stool, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but what I do like here, I kind of like Gritzmacher by decision. It's like plus 230 in some spots right now. Um, I think it's a decent percentage of his win equity. And I do think, personally, I think Gritzmacher should be closer to minus 150, minus 185. So I like him on the money line, and I, I like a shot on decision for him here, too. Uh, it seems like we both see this going. The decision, the fight to go decision is minus one fifty five, which isn't a Not bad, uh, which isn't a bad spot. Again, I do I do believe it's going to be a grappling match. If there is a finish, I do think it comes from the Poya sub side. But outside of that, I think a decision is is definitely viable. So there you guys have it. You guys get both sides of the coin here. I'm on the Poya side. Uh, John is on the grits marker side. All right, let's keep this train moving along here. Next up, we got Alonzo Manafield versus William Knight. I am tired of fucking oh. talking about this fight because I've just. I've just talked about it too many times. They're booked at least two or two times in the past. Uh, you know, made a video for both those fights, made wrote, made did a write-up for both those fights, and now here we are once again. However, we have a little bit more data to chew on compared to what we had before. Both guys have had two fights since uh they were originally scheduled to fight each other. I believe uh um Alonzo Menafield has gone two and oh with a quick finish over Fabio Charant, and then obviously that decision victory over Ed Herman after he chewed up his leg for a solid two and a half rounds. Uh, and then on the flip side. William Knight, uh, he drops a, a brutal decision loss to Daun Young, where he just got busted up on the ground. And then obviously his next fight, a fight that I was at, the Fabio Sharad fight, that one was uh, insane with the amount of power he was throwing those kicks with. Uh, he ends up knocking out Fabio Sharad near the ending of that first round. It's interesting how the perspectives of these fighters change as we continue to get more data, right? Because when I originally broke down this fight, I was kind of leaning William Knight, right? I thought that William Knight would have the, the gas and the juice to go out there and kind of grind out Alonzo Benefield up against the cage. Maybe not get takedowns, because we obviously saw the Devin Clark fight where Devin Clark couldn't get any takedowns, yeah. but he still did get success in terms of just pushing Alonzo Benefield up against the cage, and that's kind of similar to how William Knight was able to beat Alexa Kamor. Then you see the Daun Young fight, and they're like, does this guy know how to stop a takedown? Like Cody Brundage couldn't take this guy down. And now Daun Young is all of a sudden a much better wrestler or, you know, a takedown artist than what Cody Brundage brought to the table. Uh, I, I don't think we're going to see Alonzo Benefield come out here in a singlet or anything, but I do think that uh, Safe Sayud is smart enough to know that, okay, there is a way that we can get this guy to the ground if we need to, and that should kind of be our, our uh, ace in our pocket if this fight does get a little bit close on the feet. I do think that this will play out where these guys, you know, it looks like uh, a fight doesn't go to the decision spot considering, you know, they're big and explosive and they have a lot of knockouts on their record. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be one of those cases where they respect their power a little bit too much. And we see a little bit more of a, a chess match on the feet, maybe even just exchanging leg kicks for seven minutes. Cause I could absolutely see that happening as well, but I, I got to give the edge to Alonzo Benefield here. I do think he is the better with uh, the hands. And again, I do think he could possibly lean on William Knight here and possibly gas him out as well. I like the overs and I also like the fight goes to decision in this spot. Uh, the over is currently sitting at, uh, over one and a half is minus 160. Over two and a half is plus 120. Fight goes to decision is plus 140. I like all those spots, but I am leaning on the Menafield side, and I think he's going to be able to get his hand raised here, and his decision prop is currently sitting at plus 250. Am I far off on this one? How do you feel about this matchup? Well, you are 100% right that we now have much more relevant data on William Knight, and the fact that Dalian Jung was able to take him that down eight times with basically just outside trips is a is pretty concerning. Um I do think it's important that we remember that Alonzo Menafield is not very good at MMA. Uh, that seems like a very relevant point to make because I do think on paper, 
you know, Menafield obviously matches up a bit uh, pretty well. You know, his striking is a bit cleaner than Will's than Will Knight's is. Um, his defense is much better than William Knight's is at distance. Uh, he should, in theory, I think, have the grappling advantage here. My big concern with Alonzo Menafield, though, is always the same concern I have with Alonzo Menafield. He has a tendency. Now, look, the leg kicks were a nice addition that he had against Ed Herman. But he didn't even throw that many leg kicks. It just turned out he just violated Ed's leg, and it was done after about four kicks, you know? Um, it's important to remember, though, Menafield's game well, at distance tends to be extremely low volume, and he didn't do it last fight against Herman, but that's also because, you know, Herman's a deadly in the clinch. I don't think he wanted any part of that. But he's had a history of rushing into the clinch and then losing clinch exchanges. Like, if you go back and watch the Devin Clark fight, he really was having no issue with Clark at distance. But he kept engaging him in the clinch, and he got outlanded in the clinch like 70 to 20 or something like that. You know, he basically lost the fight because he refused to fight a distance and kept trying to bomb into the clinch. Um, that's kind of a concern for me here, to be honest, because there's a part of me I've thought about betting Menafield here. I couldn't bet Knight here under pretty much any circumstances just because I just don't think Knight – other than pure strength, I don't think Knight really has any UFC caliber tools. But – you know, Menafield's just not reliable to do what he needs. If Menafield just stays back in boxes, he is going to fuck Knight up, honestly. I just don't think he's going to do that. I don't trust him to do that, I should say. Um, if he wrestles, he will probably dominate this fight. But it's too easy for me to imagine him bombing into the clinch and holding it there. But with all that said, Menafield is a much more skilled fighter, and he should really win this fight however he wants. Um, just I'm just saying it's important before anybody goes big on Alonzo Menafield to remember you know, it's still Alonzo Menafield that you're betting on here. Uh, in terms of props, I actually love this to go the distance. Um, kind of to my point, you know, if Menafield does have an outside striking fight with him, he's going to be low volume, so is Knight. Um, and if he doesn't, it's probably going to be the two of them fighting in the clinch for 15 minutes. I don't think there's going to be much pace. I don't. I think Menafield's an overrated hitter, if I'm being honest. Uh, I mean, look, you couldn't even put Devin Clark out, who is famously fragile. Same thing with 40-year-old Ed Herman, you know. I, I don't think he's very likely to put Knight out. I actually kind of think if one of them is likely to finish, it would be Knight if he somehow gets Manifield in a weird position on bottom. But I think this should be probably minus 150 and you're getting like plus 140, plus 150 right now. So I like it to go to the decision. If you want to play, you know, play a prop on a fighter, I think Manifield by decision plus 250 uh, is pretty nice. He, he cashed a plus 500 by decision against Herman, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I mean, I don't really have much interest in a side here. Yeah, that this fight, I just, again, like I said at the beginning of the break, I just wanted to get over with. Let's, let's fucking move on from these guys. And I think that both these uh, fighters are, maybe more so the William Knight side of things, are prime examples of fighters that are being able to get away with their athleticism and their explosiveness on the regional scene, which gets them to the UFC. Then once they get to the UFC, yeah. it just goes south for them because they need more than that to be successful here. So, uh, yeah, well, glad we're both on the same side here with Manifield and seeing this fight go the distance. And Derek... No, no white claws for me this morning. I got a long day ahead of me. We got this stream, and I got my Ultimate Wayne show tonight as well with a great guest that I can't wait for to announce for you guys later on this show. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got <clears throat> we got Mallory Martin going up against Cheyenne Vlismus. Get it right, fellas. It's Vlismus, no longer Bays. Apparently, there's some uh, there's some ruckus going on in the Bays household. I believe uh, Vlismus has gone back out to Las Vegas and training with her original team. Uh, if you guys remember. <clears throat> she was actually supposed to fight Loma Lukbumi a couple weeks ago. She did uh, have to pull out due to COVID. And she even came out on an interview saying that her lungs got pretty fucked up from COVID. And she doesn't even know if they'll be 100% healed by fight time this weekend. And that's a big red flag for me to, you know, you know, especially in a fight where you're going to need as much cardio as possible because I could see this fight playing out 
in a grapple-heavy uh, scenario. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus uh, 190 for Vlismas and plus 160 for Mallory Martin. Uh, I'm not big on Mallory Martin myself. You know, I've, I've looked to fade her in the past. I don't she, think she's a great fighter. But if this fight is going to play it on a grappling scenario, we know the strength of Mallory Martin is a wrestling, and that's kind of what she looks to do in pretty much all of her fights is drag her opponents to the ground. That's exactly what Vlismas looks to do as well. But my concern here is... <clears throat> Outside of the Montserrat Ruiz fight, we don't really have much data in Vismas how she deals with uh, fights off of her back because she d- she couldn't get off her back uh, from that scarful, right? And that's a fight that I, whenever I break down a Vismas fight, I, I kind of put an asterisk around that because that's an anomaly. We're never going to see that again, right? At least not unless Montserrat Ruiz is, is inside the octagon again. We're not going to see somebody have that much control time from the scarful position. So I'll give her some, some uh, slack on that one. But the one thing that we can say is that she does have difficulty in terms of getting out of bad positions. And if Mallory Martin can put her in some bad positions, she could end up looking like a very live underdog in the spot. Uh, I, I can play Bayes at my 190 here. I did have her as my lock of the night play last time around when she beat uh, Gloria DePaulo, but that was a much more favorable matchup for her. But stylistically speaking, I think this one could be a little bit difficult for her. So I, I, I'm actually signing with the Martin side with very little confidence here. Um, in terms of props, I, I do see this one going the distance. I'd be surprised if we get another, you know, uh, fluke KO from the Vlisma side with that uh, that kick that she was able to land on the way up against DePaulo. But uh, Martin by decision is currently sitting at plus 250. Uh, the overs as well in this fight, minus 275 on the over two and a half, a little bit too juicy for my liking. But I feel if you are picking a side here, just go with a decision prop, right? There is a potential that Bayes could finish this, but uh, I'd kind of be uh, surprised if she's able to do so. Um, yeah, I like Martin here. Going to come down to the grappling exchanges since we have very little data on Shane off of her back. That is a little bit of a concern for me as well. I got to feel like you could sh- share the same sentiments here. I- I'd be surprised if you're going to be making a case for Cheyenne at minus 190 in the spot. But again, my favorite prop, plus 250 on uh, the Martin decision, but she is very untrustworthy. So don't trust that pick either. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about this one, John? Yeah, pretty similarly. I mean, the problem is so the problem with me and why I haven't made a Martin bet is yes. The data on Bayes on her back is limited. What we have is a scar pole and like a brief, like 30 or 40 seconds on her back on the regional scene when she was attacking submissions off her back, which I hate. But also, <laughs> Mallory Martin got subbed by in in Pollyanna Viana's garden her last fight. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I don't really, without knowing what she's like on her back, it's like it's impossible to lay minus 200 on Bayes, right? But she's a young fighter. And if it turns out that, she can work up with ease well then she looks minus 500 right so it's like i am it's like a bet on mallory is kind of a bet against you know bays not having that you know that ability but as a young fighter and someone who just moved out to vegas and is training with a lot of good fighters in the same weight class it's just not really a bet i want to make you know like i i don't you, it's something i'm trying to ease off of is doing you know, i'm all for steering into variance but with this kind of fight, you know, what is Martin's upside here? Probably minus 150, because even if she can control her, we've seen Martin lose fights from top position by decision. We've seen her get subbed from top position. And if she can't, then Baze is like minus 500. So it's like, I don't really have a ton of interest in the Martin side. Um, I, I do kind of agree with you regarding the decision prop, though, because we know Martin's going to wrestle here. Um, and if she wrestles, could she get armbarred? I guess. But, yeah, I mean... I'm getting somebody who's plus 250 who's probably going to attempt six to seven takedowns against someone who got held in the scarf hold for 10 and a half minutes two fights ago. Yeah, I don't really love anything here. It's pretty low level. I'm more, 
Um, I'm kind of interested in just sitting back and actually getting some data on what Cheyenne's game is because I don't even really know what it is, to be honest. You know, I can't take a regional footage that seriously because it's mostly bums. I can't take, to your point, the Conejo fight that seriously. Who else is just going to look for head and arm throws and scarf folds, you know? So I'm kind of interested to see what she looks like over 15 against a real wrestler. Um, if I was taking a prop, it would probably be Martin by decision. I agree with that. But I'm happy to pass this and just enjoy it. Uh, yeah, uh, again, I kind of agree with you on the fact that we're still trying to figure out what kind of fighter base it, or Vlismas is, is. That's something that I'm Vlismas, still trying yeah. to fix in my head. Uh, but yeah, uh, th this fighter should definitely tell us everything that we need to know. And no, this is not a cup of mud, people. This is just water. I'm not trying to drink this morning. <laughs> God damn. Everybody thinks I'm a savage. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, if John's not drinking, I'm not drinking. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> let's just put it that way. He's the drinker of the two. Let's put it that way. All right. Uh, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Jake Matthews going up against Jeremiah Wells. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 165 for Jake Matthews, plus 145 to return on Jeremiah Wells. Now, this is the second straight time that we're going to see Jake Matthews go up against a Philly product. Uh, uh, Jeremiah Wells is a training partner of Sean Brady. They almost have a similar style in the fact that they, you know, they do look to get the fight to the ground and kind of grind out their opponents. Uh, Jeremiah Wells, at times, uh, will look to use his power to try and knock out his opponents, which he's been successful in doing so. But I feel like Jake Matthews is a little bit tough to put away early in fights. We see him getting put away later in fights, right? Andrew Rocco Martin, after he was able to deal out some damage. And then obviously the Sean Brady fight as well. Uh, Jeremiah Waz, on the other hand, I'm just not a big fan of his cardio, which is a little bit of a, a suspect thing to me. And the same could be said about Jake Matthews as well, who like whenever he dominates the first two rounds, he always slows down in that, in that third round. He always is huffing and puffing. Guys are able to have success on him there. So I really think, like, again, this is a class of two guys that like to go out there and grind out their opponents. Whoever has success in that in that state or in that scenario, excuse me, will have success in this fight. And I do think that it's actually going to be Jeremiah Wells. I do think he'll be able to get the fight to the ground a little bit easier. Uh, and, and even in the striking, I think that his power will be intimidating enough for uh, Jake Matthews to, you know, be a little, too, little bit too hesitant and gun-shy. And even the striking game of Jake Matthews isn't, like, fully molded right it's more so just throw a couple shots out there just to close the distance and eventually get the fight to the ground you can almost say the same thing about jeremiah wells but at least jeremiah throws with some like a kitchen sink pretty much right the guy really likes to to knock you out there so there's a couple spots that i'm looking at here jeremiah wells i've already bet him straight here at plus 145 but in terms of props if we do want to get a little bit greedy round one ko is or sorry round one is plus 450 if he goes out there and starches him quickly which again i'm not a big fan of but i obviously see a possibility of that but i'm kind of liking the decision prop here at plus 605 like if this fight does get deep i'd be surprised if he puts out jake matthews in the third round, similar to what Roko Martin and Sean Brady were able to do. Um, and I think it just comes down to like both these guys just trying to jockey for position in that third round. But I do think that Walls will do enough in the first two rounds to, to get the judges on his side. So plus 600 for a decision prop is, again, I, I'm not a big fan of overs and decision props, but this one kind of uh, speaks to me as I do believe it's a viable outcome and result for Jeremiah Wells here. So I'm going with the Wells side. Already have a play on him as an underdog, but I might sprinkle a little bit of the de decision prop because I think there's a good enough case for it. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, it's a very weird fight. I mean, Jake Matthews should have him covered, but I actually like the Wells side as well, if I'm being honest. It, it, it's like if you were to line them up and have them do a combine, combine type thing where we rate all of our MMA skills, you'd probably rate out Matthew's skills better just about everywhere, except maybe pure jiu-jitsu. The problem is Matthew's, he doesn't have a good minute-winning style unless he's wrestling, and I don't think he's going to have a ton of wrestling success here. Um, 
And as a striker, while he's obviously a much cleaner striker, I mean, Wells striking is actually fucking crazy. Uh, <laughs> Matthews is a much cleaner striker, but, you know, Wells is the kind of guy, he understands his limitations, and so he's super aggressive to kind of offset it. And Matthews just doesn't deal well with aggressive guys. You know, he's kind of, you know, I hate, I don't want to call anybody a head case or anything, but he is kind of flaky. You know, whenever somebody really kind of pushes Matthews, he tends to collapse in there. Um, and Wells kind of fits the bill for a guy who classically could force him to collapse. Uh, on top of which, so yeah, I mean, I think Matthews is the more skilled fighter. The problem is, if Matthews has grappling success, I don't think he can hold Wells down. If Wells hits takedowns here, um, I think he can probably hold Matthews down. And that's the problem, because Matthews will accept bottom and then just kind of quit on the mat. And And so... Look, I think Matthews, I understand why he's the favorite. I even understand people being like, oh, you know, this line's absurd. I'm taking the shot at Matthews, whatever. But, I, you know, it's all about matchups, right? We see fighters that aren't as skilled win fights all the time. And the reality is Wells is going to force this into the type of fight Jake Matthews isn't very comfortable with. Uh, he's going to try to take his head off at range. Uh, Matthews will probably just try to react and wrestle. And if it turns into a grappling fight, I kind of trust Wells more than I trust Matthews just because I know Wells will scramble. Whereas I don't really think if Matthews gets, you know, loses a scramble, he's likely to kind of get back up to his feet. So I'm kind of with you here because Matthews is a black belt. And look, I know Sean Brady subs him. I know they're the same camp. Sean Brady's got a different level of jujitsu than Jeremiah yeah. Wells has. That's just the, the reality. Um, I don't think Wells is very likely to sub him, but a lot of top control I could see. Uh, if Wells doesn't KO him at range, yeah, I mean, decision plus 600 is crazy to me. I don't think Wells' finish is, like, that, that live. Like, not many guys have just gone out there and taken Matthew's head off. You know, I wouldn't say he's chinny. Um, yeah, I like I liked the Wells' decision, to be honest. And I don't mind to poke at his money line, either. I do quickly want to just refer to that John Manley fight for Jeremiah Wells, where he was going up against a pretty crafty BJJ guy there. Found himself in some precarious positions, but he's just able to explode out of them and scramble out yeah. of these positions. Even when it looks like he's gassing or looking like he's tiring, he does a really good job in terms of getting out of these bad positions. And I can't see the same for Jake Matthews in this spot. So, uh, yeah, glad that we're on the same side there as well. Let's keep moving on because we have another very intriguing fight that i can't wait to hear your thoughts on we got brian barbarena going up against darian weeks in terms of odds we're currently looking at minus 125 now for brian barbarena plus 105 for darian weeks the line actually opened up closer to minus 200 from byron from brian barbarena god damn it, i'm stumbling on my words over here uh Minus wonder for Barbarina on the opener, and the public heavily jumped on on Darian Weeks. Was five and zero coming into the UFC, uh, a Missouri product, not a glory MMA product. He has trained over there with James Cross and those guys every now and then, but uh, he does not call that gym home. Uh, obviously, Brian Barbarina coming off an underwhelming performance last time around, where he dropped a decision to Jason Witt, almost was uh, getting a, getting himself a draw there with the beautiful perform, uh, performance in that third round, hurting Jason with multiple occasions. Personally, I thought it was a 10-9 just because we got some productivity out of Jason Witt in terms of landing takedowns in that round. But if he did, didn't did get any takedowns and was just getting beat up on for that majority of that round, uh, I, I would score it a 10-8. However, I think the judges got it correctly giving that fight to Jason Witt. Here, though, similar situation. We got a wrestler in Darian Weeks who looks to get his opponents to the ground and kind of grind them out. However, I don't think he has the greatest top control, and I do think uh, the, the fact that he's taking a massive step up in competition here is going to not do anything good for him in terms of you know going from the guys that he's been fighting on the regional scene to fighting a veteran like Brian Barbarino, who people kind of want to write off at this point in time, but still showed in that Jason Witt fight that it's you know he's not really going down without a fight. And I don't think that Darren Weeks has truly been in a fight. And I think he's going to find that out this weekend. Uh, I think Barbarina's 
maybe the better MMA striker here. I know Darren Weeks has some pretty good power in his hands, but he doesn't look the most comfortable on the feet. He has a front kick up the middle. That's really about it. And then he throws, uh, you know, heat in his shots, but he does look to get his fights to the ground, which is hilarious because his last several opponents have looked to get him to the ground because they're scared of the power that Darian Weeks throws with. Brian Barbary is not going to be scared of that power. I think he's going to go out there and try to strike with him and even grind on him himself. Uh, Weeks' cardio doesn't look the greatest either. He looks to, to really slow down in his fights, and I feel like Barbarina could take full advantage of that. Uh, so there's a couple spots I'm looking at here. Um, Barbarina by decision or Barbarina round three are the two spots I'm looking at, as I do think he could absolutely get this kid out of there. Again, huge step up in competition. First fight in the UFC, short notice. It's it's not a good concoction for a guy as green as uh, Darren Weeks, in my, uh, in my opinion. So uh, Brian, Brian Barbarina by decision, plus 285, or Brian Barbarina round three, currently sitting at plus 1,000. I like both those spots. How about you, brother? Yeah, this line's fucking crazy, if I'm being completely honest. I was waiting for it. <laughs> it is, I, I mean, what the fuck? You have to... I, I, I do not understand it at all. And I actually know a couple of fairly sharp guys who like the other side, and I just don't fucking get it, to be honest. Um, for me, it's like you have to, to have Brian Barbarina at evens with Darian Weeks, you have to think he is like 60% of what he was two years ago, maybe even worse than that. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, yes, he lost to Jason Witt, but Jason Witt's a very good wrestler. Um, and even in that fight, you know, Witt attempted 18 takedowns, and really wasn't able to control him that much in it. Um, he did drop him, which is concerning, I admit, I admit. I am a little worried about Barbarina's durability, but the reality is, look, he fought Anthony Ivey two fights ago, and I personally think Ivey is a better version of Darian Weeks, if I'm being completely honest, and a much better grappler than Darian Weeks. Um, and he handled Ivy with pretty much no problem at all. Uh, and so it's like, can Weeks outstrike him? It's like, he could. But Barbarina was five seconds from winning a striking fight with Vincente Luque. Barbarina outstruck Leon Edwards on the feet a couple years ago. You know, this is not a guy who I'm not saying Barbarina is an elite striker or anything like that. But this is a guy who's competitive with the elites in the division or has, has been competitive with the elites in the division. He's fought the best guys in the world. Yeah, Yes, he lost to Jason Witt. Yes, he's probably slowing down and he had major surgery. But, I mean, let's look at Darian Weeks. Like you touched on. Yeah, he seems like he hits hard. He's got an okay front kick. But he doesn't measure distance very well as he calls himself a wrestler and yet the guy's constantly getting his back taken by bombs on the regional scene um he's had five professional fights you actually look at what's gone on he was supposed to fight josh quinlan in fair in september on contenders he got covid and had to pull out of that fight so i think we can reasonably assume he didn't train from september to october really much at all uh, now he's on five days notice here he's been taking professional boxing matches in the side uh, he trains at a pretty poor gym without any bodies and this guy on five days notice is supposed to come in there and be even money with brian barbarina that's nuts to me it, it just doesn't make any sense like i think the opener barbarina like minus 200 to minus 250 was about right like i look i could see weeks maybe having some success early here you know maybe landing some hard shots maybe even hurting barbarina but this guy hasn't been out of round two yet in his career. He's a big muscle strap guy who uses a lot of energy. Uh, I do think if, they, if he doesn't get Barbarina out of this fight early, things are going to go sideways for him in a hurry. But to be honest, I favor Barbarina everywhere the fight goes. Like maybe Weeks could hit takedowns. He's not holding Barbarina down, though. He's not controlling him in the clinch. And I don't think he's out striking him a distance. Um, I think Barbarina should really... I mean, he shouldn't be fighting anymore if he doesn't win this fight, to be completely honest with you. Really, I, I, honestly, like this, he should really do, do this however he wants. Like I, That is really how I feel about it. I'm going to be on him very big here. I think this is fucking nuts. Uh, I'm seeing 
what's Barbarina decision? Plus two. Um, I think I just said it. Plus two eighty-five. Plus two fifty. That's not bad. I, I don't hate decision. A shot at decision here, but I also honestly. I like the bar, the money line, and I like the sprinkle on round three. I really think if Weeks gets extended, he's going to end up breaking. Like I said, you look at him; the guy's been getting bums out of there inside inside ten minutes. It's going to get dicey at the pace Barbarina is going to push, and he always pushes the pace. So I kind of, you know, take the money line, take a sprinkle around three, and enjoy the and enjoy the bets you're going to cash on it. Yeah, I think I think I'll be taking that round three prop for sure. I'm not sure if I'll be going in on that money line. I don't have as much confidence as you do. Uh, I I do see that path for Darian Weeks landing takedowns early in this fight, but again, that concern of being able to keep Barbarina down is why I'm not on the weak side either. So yeah, um, that we're on the same side here with Barbarina though. All right, let's move on to the next fight. I believe it is not the prelim headliner yet we got one more fight until that uh next up we got zalgas sumagulov going up against manal cap in terms of odds we're looking at minus 260 on the cop side and plus 220 on the Zumagulov side and uh what i saw the odds originally before i ran the tape i was like hmm, Zumagulov plus 200 could be a good spot maybe right and then you run the tape you're like mm, he's probably not going to do good with the with the footwork and and the unorthodox movements of of manal cap it's just will manal cap pull the trigger because that's always been the been the issue with him in his ufc career one and two in the ufc and you know even in that fight that he actually won against ode osborne ode was winning that fight until he ran into that flying knee so um very intriguing uh thing there but with zalgas and cop here the concern is the output, right? If Zalgas can match his output, this is going to be a much closer fight than the minus 260. However, I think the more impactful shots and the more stinging shots are going to be coming from the cap side. And I think it's going to be obvious once we see these guys actually land on each other. I found it interesting. The first six fights in Zalgas Sumagulov's career finished everybody. Since then, really, he finished everybody in his first six fights. And then since then, uh, he's only finished two guys. And I think it was like eight more wins after that. So uh, really turned into a point fighter after his uh, initial run there uh, of finishing dudes. And I think it's just playing that safe style, right? He doesn't do anything crazy, right? Other than the Jerome Rivera fight. But again, Jerome Rivera... Uh, it, it probably doesn't belong in the UFC at this point. But uh, with Manal Cap, again, if you pose that trigger, I think you'll obviously win this fight. But... The spot that I like here the most is actually the over and the fight doesn't go or the fight goes to decision as I do believe that we could see like moments of time of these guys kind of exchanging but not really landing the cleanest punches on each other uh, sticking and moving just maybe even get some grappling going as well you know Manal Cap I believe he's a black belt at this point in time maybe he'll look to try to mix that up as well but from everything that we've been seeing the guy likes to strike the guy likes to move the guy likes to dance the guy likes to taunt and uh, more often than not you'll see this guy's fights go to a decision I actually bet the under two and a half in his old day Osborne fight just because stylistically speaking, I thought it could bring out that possible knockout, and thankfully it did. But here against Zalgas, Zalgas plays it safe, right? He doesn't yeah. really overextend himself too much unless he sees that he's really behind on the scorecards or anything like that. The guy usually plays a pretty decent pace uh, that I think Manel Cap will be able to keep up with. So I, I am leaning on the cop side here. I'm not paying minus 260 at this point in time because, again, it could be a very a very close fight depending on the output here. Uh, but in terms of props, since that's what you guys are here for, over 2.5 minus 200, I actually have a, a small play on the fight goes to decision at minus 165 as I believe we will we'll see this fight get extended. Uh, but in terms of specific props, cap by decision plus 130, if I'm playing cap, that's probably how I'm going to play him. I'd be surprised if he gets Zumagulov out of there. Zumagulov does have one knockout loss on his record. He ended up rematching that guy and going the full 50 minutes with him. 
So maybe it was just an, an anomaly of a fight for him to get knocked out. Uh, so if, you know, there is a possibility that Cap could knock him out here, but I don't think it's uh, that strong of a lean. So plus 130 on Cap by decision is my prop, but the fight goes to the decision is where I'm looking at most, especially if this is as close as I think it could possibly be. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, this is like God's way of tempting me here. Um, this line here right now where it is at like plus 225s in Malula. I, I'm passing right now. If it gets over plus 250, I might just have to poke it. But I, I largely feel the same. I mean, the reality is I think Manel Cop has, in terms of talent, championship-level talent. The problem is really process. You know, kind of to your point, his output is just shit. That's the reality. He Like, I don't mind, and we'll get to this in the main event, but like I don't mind a guy like Jose Aldo who – yeah, he has a low output, but you don't get free volume off on him. That's really the big thing. Do you throw back when guys throw at you? And Cop just lets guys get free volume off on him all day. And that's a problem because he is fast and he is he is very skilled and he hits very hard. But <clears throat> the reality is, unless you're hurting your opponents consistently or finishing them, um, you're going to lose a lot of fights based on inactivity. Uh, and this isn't heavyweight. It's flyweight. So even though he hits hard, his KOs just aren't very reliable. Um Zumagulov actually keeps a decent pace. You know, he kept pace with Holly and Paiva for 15 minutes. I believe he outlanded him in that fight. And Paiva yeah. is quite high output. Um, and so, you know, when I look at that dynamic, I'm like, fuck, I'm like plus 220. And I, I feel like pretty strong that Zumagulov is probably going to land more strikes. But on the other side of that coin, though, uh, the guy who's going to have bigger moments is going to be a cop for sure, right? You know, he's going to be landing harder shots. It's just a question of, does he let Zumagulov get so far out in front of volume that he just can't make up for it? Um, and I don't really know. Like I, I'm torn because I do think most iterations of this fight are a close fight, but I think Cop kind of wins the close fight the vast majority of the time, if that makes sense, just because he does have more pop in his hands. Um, I do think Zumagulov could potentially hit takedowns, but I don't know if he can control Cop. Um yeah, I'm not passionate about it. Like, I guess I would stab Zumagulov at plus 250. But even his decision line, like, it seems like the book's wised up on that. Like, I'm seeing plus 300, plus 275. That's not that good. Uh, I like the bet that you made a lot, actually. And you can get that, what is that, goes the distance. And actually, if you have FanDuel, that's at minus 148 right now. While the wow. rest of the market's got it at about minus 165. Um, yeah, I like that a lot because, look, the bottom line is top hits hard. He's finished a bunch of guys. Finishes are never going to be consistent at 125 pounds, though. And to your point, Zumagolov's been very durable. You know, Pai was a big hitter, and Zumagolov took his shots with no problem. So, yeah, I mean, goes the distance is probably the best play here. Um, if you force me to make a play on a guy, I guess it would be Zuma by decision. Uh, the cop's the better fighter. It's just a matter of, you know, will Manel Cop let his fucking hands go? I mean, the guy lost minutes to Oday Osborne in his last fight. So that's pretty concerning. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I'd rather play goes the distance than have a side here. Yeah, the, the weigh-ins actually kick off in about an hour or so, and the last time he actually weighed in three pounds over the weight limit, so that's something that people should be keeping an eye on for that as well. So, uh, I believe there was somebody else earlier on the call. Oh, yeah, the, the Vandera and Azamat fight. I'm really looking forward to seeing what that weigh-in looks like as well. Again, not going to completely tempt me on either side, but it's just interesting to Bet see. Jared. <laughs> you're gonna make me do it john god damn it like, i am gonna make you do it <laughs> all right let's move on to the next fight before i end up betting jared Vandera here we got mackie patola going up against dushko todorovic uh in terms of odds we're looking at minus 155 for todorovic uh and then a plus 135 for patolo uh best fight odds almost threw me off there because for some reason they have is they have him listed as what is it du uh 
uh, Durko, Durko, Durko to Torofor. <laughs> fucking kills me. I don't know. Since they sold or whatever the hell they did and changed up all their the the sites on there, it, it's been kind of going downhill. But again, it, it is still the holy grail of uh, seeing where the odds ride. Uh, in regards to this fight, very interesting fight because both guys coming off the contender series had a lot of hype, and now here they are sitting. You combine what two and five in the side of the UFC, uh, two and six inside the UFC. I believe Mackie Patola is one and four with his only win coming over Charles Bird, who promptly retired after that fight. And Dusko Todorovic, who's one and two inside the UFC, who his own lone win against Daquan Townsend, who's obviously not in the UFC anymore either. Um, now they're matched up against each other. We're getting Dusko around minus 155. Uh, interesting fight here, right? Dusko, it doesn't seem to have changed much about it, uh, anything about his style since his first ever loss. Uh, the guy still fights the same way. You know, the karate style keeps his head high up in the air in terms of his defense just leans back and thinks that's going to be enough for him, but it's not going to be enough for him in, in, in certain situations. Uh, and, and that's really about it, right? That That's kind of his game. He just kind of plays that matador style where he just stays on the outside and waits for his opponent to close the distance and hoping he's going to be able to land a big enough shot to kind of keep them on the outside. But Mackie Patola, as he showed in his last fight against Julian Marquez, has no problems kind of moving forward and just trying to throw heat and really trying to put it on his opponents. And I think he'll be able to successfully do that here against uh, uh, against Adorovich once again. Uh, I do think he'll be able to land a takedown or two. I don't think he'll be able to control uh, Todorovic for an extended period of time. But again, I think it will be enough for at least the judges to kind of see it uh, towards him. Obviously, Mackie was a minute and a half or two minutes away from winning that fight against Julian Marquez. But goddamn, 50 seconds was a goddamn horrible, horrible, especially considering that he kept putting himself into bad positions with that neck. Like, there's so many times where Julian Marquez was just playing with a choke of some sort, whether it was a guillotine or an anaconda choke, and then eventually he obviously gets that choke at the end of the fight. Uh, Hopefully, he's learned from that. But I'd be surprised if Dushko goes out there and, you know, pulls off an anaconda choke of his own. So I don't think Mackie needs to worry too much about that. But again, obviously something to keep on the back uh, in the back of your head. Um, I like uh, Patola here. I like him by decision as well. I do think he'll kind of get the favor of the judges, being the one kind of pushing the pace, being the aggressor, staying in Dusko's face, and, and again, pushing him up against the cage, maybe landing a takedown or two. I think he will be the more active and uh, the, the obvious side here, which is why the line is moving as much as it has, right? I think Dusko opened up minus 175, uh, minus 180, and then obviously down to minus 155 now, seeing a lot of love coming in from Mackie Patola. So unless there's another club and sub situation or another brain fart moment from Mackie Patolo, he should win this fight uh, and, and by decision. Uh, and that prop is currently sitting at... Uh, plus 450, which is, again, similar to that uh, Jeremiah Wow's line. Uh, crazy that it's that wide, considering that's probably their best path to victory in this fight. I know his nickname is Coconut Bombs, but I'm hoping for Coconut Grappling this time around so that it can uh, bring this fight to the ground and play it safe as possible. So I like Patolo, Patolo by decision. How are you liking this one, brother? Coconut fucking bombs. Let's go. Um, let me give you guys <laughs> a quick... Um, so I know not everybody loves stats in MMA, but... You know, sometimes they're important. They provide good context. I think you've pretty much nailed it in terms of the breakdown. Look, I think Patolo's better on the feet. We know Dusko's issues, you know, with his defense. On top of that, we know Dusko's kind of issues with accuracy striking. But just to kind of contextualize this, at distance, Maki Patolo attempts roughly 16.48 strikes a minute. Dusko Todorovic attempts about 10.87. Um, Naki's land addition strike ratio is about 1.12 to 0.89 for Dusko. He pretty much in every statistical category has Dusko covered by a large amount on the feet. Um, and it kind of holds up, you know, when you look at it on tape. You know, Maki's had 
competitive minutes with some good guys. You know, he looked good against Stewart until he dove into the guillotine. Um, he looked pretty good in the first two rounds against Impa. You know, he probably wins that fight if he doesn't get hurt at the end of round one and end of round two. Um, you know, when has Dusko really looked good in the UFC? When he beat up Daquan Townsend? Uh, he got carved apart on the feet by Teddy Ash, you know, in the contender series. Maki's certainly a better striker than him. Uh, same thing happened in the Rodriguez fight, and the same thing happened in the Puna fight. Maki, and so it's like, I for Dusko to win, I think he needs to try to grapple or, like, clinch fuck Maki like he did so much regionally. The problem is Julian Marquez is actually fairly good in the, um, in the clinch, and... Maki was able to dominate that position there. So like, I don't really think – I've heard people say, oh, you know, Maki's not a real middleweight. I don't know, man. Marquez is a strong guy, and Maki was tossing him around. I don't think Todorovic is going to have much success getting it to the clinch. Um, I have some concerns about Maki's gas tank and him slowing down in this fight, uh, potentially sticking his head in the guillotine again. I do think that is surprisingly live. But – I just think, I mean, the numbers tell the story. I mean, so does the tape. Maki's going to win minutes on the feet pretty easily, I think. Um, I think he should be a pretty clear favorite in this spot. And what I will say is, in terms of prop, so I'm on Maki. I bet his money line. I think this line's fucking crazy, if I'm being honest. I have a decent-sized bet on him. Um, in terms of props, there is a prop I like here quite a bit. You know, Maki, not really a huge hitter. He hasn't knocked down anybody in the UFC. And Dusko, you know, look, he got finished by Puna. But Puna's an enormous hitter, um, and he stood in there for 15 minutes with Gregory Rodriguez, and Maki decisions plus 450, like, that is fucking nuts, in my opinion. You know, you're getting basically, I view his decision probably as, like, a 40% outcome, and you're getting it at an 18% implied. So, I mean, there's a huge edge there, in my opinion. So, I have Maki decision. I'm on the money line big. Uh, I think this is a great spot and one of the better ones on the card. There you go. Mr. Dog Hunter himself. Uh, giving you guys a solid underdog for this weekend, and I do agree with him. All right, that brings us to our main card and another opportunity for me to remind the 125 live viewers that were is that are joining us on this Friday morning. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then go follow my guy John on Twitter at MMA Fox. Obviously, the Twitter handle is there on the screen for you guys, and obviously check out his podcast on Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the Club and Sub Podcast link to their channels in the description below. So make sure you guys go check that shit out. And let's get right to the main card, John. Uh, we got Alex Morono taking on Mickey Gall in terms of odds. We're currently looking at minus 230 for Alex Morono, plus 190 for Mickey Gall. Now, there's been so many fights where I've picked Alex Morono to win, but I've always had a hard time kind of breaking down <laughs> why he's going to win, right? He's a BJJ black belt who never looks to take fights to the ground until he fought Reese McKee. Uh, but it just seems the guy likes to fight. And now I'm finally starting to get an idea of why he keeps winning. He just likes to fight, likes to throw output, likes to throw volume. And that's ultimately what gets him his, uh, his dubs, right? He moves forward and he just throws with heat. Sometimes he knocks his opponents out. Sometimes he does enough to win a decision. And I'm thinking that's exactly what's going to happen against uh, Mickey Gall this weekend. I am not big on Mickey Gall at all. I don't think he's yeah. UFC level at, all, level at all, right? I think... The worst thing that happened to him was coming into the UFC as early as he did. Sure, he got all the fame and the, the publicity from being CM Punk and all that type of stuff. But for his longevity inside the UFC, yeah, you're going to be guys like Salim Dahari and George Sullivan and, you know, a rock Jordan Williams 60 seconds into the fight. Like, those fights, are, you're going to win. Even Sage Northcutt, who never really panned out either, right? But when you start fighting legit dudes that want to fight, that want to bring it to you, I think he's going to start to fold. And I feel like that's exactly what we're getting here with Alex Morono, who... 
historically speaking, it has pretty damn good durability unless he's fighting a guy like Chaos Williams, right? The guy can take a punch. The guy can move forward, and he can really put a hurting on his opponents, and I feel like he can do that here against Mickey Gall. Whether Mickey looks to strike or grapple with him here, I just don't think he can do it for an extended period of time. I think he is a finish or bust uh, product in the in this fight specifically because I'd be surprised if he wins round two and three because his gas tank is not that good. When you're getting grapple fucked by Mike Perry in rounds two and three, and you're supposed to be the BJJ guy, not a good look at all and now you're going to have possibly if morona looks for takedowns in this fight you're going to have a black belt on top of you is more than likely not going to get subbed um I, I, there's two spots i like in this i do think that morona has a possibility of finishing gall here because he is one of those guys that kind of looks for the finish like he's always trying to progress to a better position to try to finish you and mickey gall just just slows the fuck down way too much for my liking uh so i like morona inside the distance but i also like the under two and a half to possibly cover you know if mickey gall has this newfound love for power that he was able to start uh jordan williams with and, and he brings that into this fight it covers that scenario as well uh so in terms of odds uh uh God damn it. Best Fight Odds has it all jumbled up with the Morono decisions at the uh, uh, lines at the bottom of the thing. But uh, under two and a half, plus 165. Don't mind that. Uh, but Morono inside the distance, uh, plus 265 as well. So pretty much the same line there. Might as well just play the, uh, uh, oh, sorry, not the same line there. But still, plus 265 on Morono inside the distance, I don't think is a bad spot because I do think he'll bring it to Mickey Gall here. Uh, takedowns, grappling, uh, uh, striking, volume, all that put together. I think Morono wipes the floor with Mickey Gall here. I think uh, Gall Max has about three to four minutes of success at best. And then after that, I think he's going to start to get taken over here. So, uh, yeah, I like Morono a lot in this spot. I think he absolutely, again, wipes the floor with Gall here. And I think he finishes him probably second or third round. Another possible third round spot as well. Uh, Morono round three plus 1,300. Don't mind that either. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, what I, I feel kind of similarly, but I guess I think I'm more bullish on Gaul's skill, I guess. But I feel mostly the same about him overall. Like, Gaul looked pretty good on the feet with Perry early in that fight. You know, he was outstriking Mike Perry a distance in that fight. And obviously, he is a talented submission grappler when he is the one being the hammer, you know. Um, my big fear with Gaul is always just two big things. First of all, like you mentioned, the cardio. He slows down every fight. I mean, the Perry fight was not a particularly high-paced fight early, and you could see him slowing down at the end of the first round, just them striking on the feet. Same thing with the Tuari fight. Like, if he wasn't Slim Tuari, he'd probably get finished in that fight. Um, and the other big thing is, look, Gaul has the reputation of being an elite submission grappler. What he is elite at is taking backs and taking necks from there. He is not a very well-rounded grappler, though. Uh, the guy got held down for two rounds by Randy Brown. Uh, Mike Perry smashed him on the mat. Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned, look, if Alex Morono comes out here and wrestles, he's probably going to just run through Gall, to be completely honest. Uh, and on top of which, you know, you have, you never want to, I thought I'd be betting Gall before I taped it, but like, it's very hard, even at plus 200 for me to bet against like, you know, the cardio gap that we have here. Like Morono's entire game is based around cardio and output. Whereas, you know, Gall's entire game is based around finishing guys very early or dying. Um. Morono's just not a very easy guy to finish. You know, the only guy I think who has, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, Cass Williams. Yeah. And that was that was a crazy fight. Morono just came out swinging. Um, and I guess Gall could do that in theory. He did hurt Jordan Williams early. Uh, I do think Gall has some finishing upside early in this fight. But I don't think Gall's going to – I'm pretty sure Gall's not going to wrestle. Um, I And if they strike, look, I think Gall can have success early in this fight. But the reality is we know Morono's got better cardio and that – He's going to take over on the feet. And look, the bottom line is, like I said, 
I don't think Gall is very likely to hold Alex Morono down. Whereas if Morono gets on top, I mean, he almost finished Reese McKee, man. The, ugly, the end of that yeah. fight was ugly. Uh, and this and Reese has better cardio than Gall does. Um, I think Morono finishing Gall late is pretty likely if Gall can't get him either early. It's kind of funny because early in the week I was like, oh, you know, goes the distance could be interesting. <laughs> um, you know, Gall's probably not going to sub him. But, like, the more I think about it, the more it would surprise me if this goes the distance. I mean, Diego fucking Sanchez finished Mickey Gall, you know? Made people think he still had a pulse. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's – so, I mean, I like under two and a half and plus 150 seems crazy, man. I'm looking at that right now. Oh, on the front on your – on site. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's a good spot. What the fuck? Um, I like that. I kind of like, dude, Morono by sub plus a thousand is kind of tempting too. If I'm not, if I'm not lying, as like a small sprinkle, like, cause like I said, you know, Morono or Gall is a talented submission grappler offensively. He's a really bad nail though. Like it would not be surprise me if, you know, there's a scramble and he ends up with uh, Morono on his back and just quits. Um, but I like the under, I think that's a really nice spot. Um, I wouldn't bet Morono. I, I don't really have much interest in laying the, the, the chalk here, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't see it at all. I think I, I, I don't. <laughs> the chalk is worth it, John. The chalk is worth it. I'm just saying. Sometimes the juice is worth the squeeze. Something that I saw Mr. Uh, Andrew Gombas say on his uh, sports line uh, <laughs> on a video uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, but yeah, glad, glad we're on the same side here in terms of the Morono side. Uh, but yeah, I have some on Morono already, but I will definitely conserve uh, a little bit more on that uh, under 2NF as well, just in case there is some sort of fuckery with uh, with uh, Gall being able to pull off something early in this fight. But if it happens, it will be early in this fight. It's not going to be later in this fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got uh, five fights left. It is a six-fight main card, and we are back to regularly scheduled programming for the UFC, 10 p.m. Eastern main card start time. So pack in, folks. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a late night with the six-fight card that we got coming up. All right, Brendan Allen going up against Chris Curtis in terms of odds. We're currently looking at uh, minus 345 for Brendan Allen, plus 285 for Chris Curtis. Now, Chris Curtis, normally a welterweight, taking his second fight here in the UFC up at middleweight once again after uh, starching Phil Hawes uh, in their uh, in his UFC debut not too long ago. I believe that was just about a month ago, uh, and he's taking a quick turnaround here. But the, the, the issue is I think he might be getting a, a little bit of false confidence and this momentum that he could be coming on because he was getting touched up by Phil Hawes in that first <laughs> four minutes, right? Phil Hawes looked like fucking Israel Adesanya out there with the type of striking that he's putting on uh, uh, on 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 Mr. Uh, Chris Curtis there. But uh, Chris Curtis, mainly a boxer, right? Like that's kind of his bread and butter. Yeah. He likes to let his hands go and kind of do some work from there. But when he's starting to fight these bigger guys that middleweight, it's going to get harder and harder to close that gap and really get his striking going. The, the funny thing is, I, I think this fight plays out similar to the Magomed Karamov fights, right? Where Karamov yeah. is able to kind of just keep, keep him at bay with kicks. That's something that Brendan Allen was doing very well uh, in his last fight, uh, where he tore up the, the ribs of Punahale Soriano. Uh, and, and he's not really known as a kicker, right? But given the opposite stances of that fight, he was able to rip up that body. And I feel like he's going to be able to do the same thing here, since we have opposite stances once again. We got the Southpaw and Chris Curtis, and I think it's just going to 
it's not going to work out well for him. I think we'll see Brendan Allen just rip kicks to the body, rip kicks to the legs, and just kind of keep him on the outside. And if it does get too close for comfort for Allen, I think he could take him down. And that's the best part of Brendan Allen's game is that jiu-jitsu game. If he can get this fight to the ground, I think he can really ride on Chris Curtis and uh, kind of control him on those positions, similar to what Magomed Karimov was able to do uh, to him as well. Not to mention Brendan Allen, a much bigger fighter as well. Uh, I believe he's going to have a three-inch height advantage. I could be yeah. off on that. Uh, same uh, reach. But again, Chris Curtis has a ridiculous reach. Regardless, I, I think the kicks are going to be the big thing here for Brendan on to keep Chris Curtis on the outside. Chris Curtis, K or a bust, in my opinion. Uh, I'd be surprised if this goes 15 minutes and he actually wins a 50-minute fight against uh, Allen, who should be able to dictate the pace here. Uh, interesting uh, caveat to the fight. Sean Strickland in the corner of Chris Curtis. Obviously, we know the bad blood between uh, uh, Strickland and Allen. So I'd be interested to see how that plays out. Even at the weigh-ins here, I, I, I'm sure that these guys are going to be yapping at each other. But uh, yeah, I, I like Allen Allen. I, I like the pro progress he's making, the improvements he's making. Again, going out there and standing with Soriano for 15 minutes and torching him the way that he did. You get some respect in my book, uh, and I think he'll be able, be able to do the same thing here against Action Man Chris Curtis. So, in terms of odds, uh, Chris Curtis very tough to put away. So, I think Brendan Allen by decision is probably the way to go here, which is currently sitting around plus one fifty. Uh, the over two and a half, or sorry, the over one and a half is roughly around minus one ninety. Again, Brendan Allen, tough to put away as well. I know Sean Strickland was able to do so, but Strickland, a much better striker, in my opinion, than Chris Curtis. Way more diverse with his striking, and obviously the size uh, helped him you know, close that distance and get his striking off as well. So, uh, again, KO or bust for Chris Curtis, in my opinion. Chris Curtis by KO is currently sitting around plus 480, if that tickles your fancy. Otherwise, I I'm on the Brendan Allen side. I think he, I think he rolls in the spot. How do you feel about this one? Well, I'm a big fan of the action man in general, but he's not a middleweight. The reality, no. you know, he's not. I don't know why he's taking another fight at middleweight. You know, I, I understood taking the first one to get into the UFC, but now, like, what are you really doing here? Um, now, what I will say is I like the Brendan Allen by decision prop, to be honest, because, I mean, if Brendan Allen's smart, he's going to wrestle here. Like, if he like, I yeah. know he looked good against Puna, but he's still pretty defensively susceptible. Like, why even fuck around? Like, you want that Strickland rematch? You want to get fights in the top 10? <laughs> Come out here. He can do whatever he wants to him on the ground. I don't think he can sub Curtis, but I do think he can probably hold him down with pretty minimal difficulty, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I don't know why he would fuck around on the feet, other than that's it seems like, you know, everybody at Stanford does that. But, you know, who knows? Yeah, I, I, I just... I don't think Curtis can win even standing. I mean, he can knock him out, obviously, but I don't think he can win minutes there. I, I just think, you know, if Allen takes the path of least resistance, it's going to be wrestling um, and winning by decision. Uh, I don't have a ton to add. Like, you kind of nailed it. Curtis is fun, but he, I don't even know that he's really UFC level, to be honest. You know, I, I love him as a fighter. He's a fun guy, but he's too small here. Um, Allen's probably a legitimate top 10 to 15 guy at middleweight at this point. They're so... Yeah, I mean, the line's broadly right. I, honestly, the line could probably be wider, if I'm being completely honest. So, Allen should handle him. I agree with you, Allen, by decision. Yeah, in terms of uh, your your statement about whether Chris Chris deserves to be in the UFC, I think he is perfect for that gatekeeper slot, right? Yeah. When you have guys like Vince Morales and you guys have like yeah, Gall, yeah, Chris Curtis deserves to be in the UFC. Let's be honest. But then they should just give him fights against like guys like that. You know, like why the fuck is he fighting Brendan Allen? You know, <laughs> I think they just need a need a short notice replacement, yeah. right? Brendan Allen is supposed to fight somebody else. Chris Curtis is like, I'm here. Let's do it. Not to mention my teammate has major beef with him let's see what we can uh put together 
All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Clay Guida going up against Leonardo Santos in terms of odds. We're currently looking at minus 195 now for Leonardo Santos, plus 170 to return on Clay Guida. We got a couple 40-year-olds going up against each other here. Uh, Clay Guida actually turns 40 four days after this fight, and I believe uh, Mr. Leonardo Santos turns 43. Is he... I was oh no sorry he, he turns four, 42 yeah he's, he's he turns man. 42 in February so uh, a couple old timers here however Leonardo Santos drinking the fountain of youth given Grant Dawson probably his toughest fight in the UFC in his last fight although he did get knocked out at the buzzer there but um I thought he did pretty well in that fight man he yeah. stuffed all the takedowns landed some good shots on the feet I you can make a case that he was up going into that third round too, right? But uh, they actually released the scorecards of the first two rounds, and two judges had a 2 nothing Grand Dawson, and one judge had a 1-1 uh, going into that third round. But, yeah, I, I was impressed with what I saw from Leo Santos. And even before that fight, I was trying to figure out, like, what is he good at, right? Because like, he was supposed to be the BJJ guy. He's supposed to come in there and just start, take dudes to the ground and strangle next. But he's out here knocking dudes out, and people are like, oh, okay, I guess he's a striker now. But the, what he does so well is just he, he uses his kicks pretty well. He fights from both stances. So whenever a guy comes at himself bar or orthodox, he's able to go with the opposite stance and really effectively use his kicks. But even his one-two down the middle, very long and rangy, that a lot of guys are just not able to get a touch on it. Even Stevie Ray, right? I mean, that's probably one of my favorite knockouts of all time just because of the way Stevie Ray collapses in that in that knockout. If you guys haven't seen or don't remember, I'd highly suggest going go and watching that back. But he throws absolute heat in those strikes when, he's, when he has his range down, I feel. And with Clay Guida here, like... I, I we spoke about this a little bit earlier in the week. Where does he win, right? Is he going to look to take down Leonardo Santos? I don't think that happens. Even if he does, does he want to mix it up on the ground with a, a BJJ black belt like Leonardo Santos? And then on the feet, yeah, jump around, do your energizer bunny shit all you want, but you're going to be getting kicked and you're going to be getting touched up from the outside. Like the only uh, negative that you can really say about Leo Santos, and you touched on this, like I said, his age. Do you want to bet on a 41-year-old? But again, on the opposite side, you got a guy that's four days shy of being 40 years old himself. So it kind of cancels itself out. Uh, so if we just throw age out the window here, Leo Santos won this fight. I completely understand why it's minus 200. Earlier when I saw the line, I'm like, maybe there is some value on Clay Guida. But once you're on the tape, man, Leo Santos, I, I think he's good, man. I think he can go out there and beat guys like Clay Guida still. And I think he could actually get another finish here. Uh, the spot that I like the most, honestly plus 315 on his submission prop. Clay Guido's been clubbed in some how many times in the past? <laughs> now you got a guy that's a great striker and can do submissions as well. I'm seeing another submission opportunity here for for Leo Santos. Instead of being too greedy, though, you know, taking inside the distance is probably the best spot because, again, he has fallen in love with his hands, so maybe he'll just look to TKO him. Excuse me. If he does manage to drop uh, Clay Guida, uh, inside the distance for Santos is plus 200. Uh, Santos by submission, like I said, is my favorite one at plus 315. I'm hoping for uh, a club and sub here. Shout out to the podcast. But I'm really hoping that he goes out there and uh, puts a hurting on Guida and then gets him out of there with some sort of choke. I like Santos. Santos inside the distance. Plus 155 on the under two and a half. Not too bad either. But then again, is there really a finishing opportunity for Clay Guida? I'd be surprised if he finishes Santos here. So you might as well take that inside the distance on the Santos side and get those extra points here. So yeah, Santos, Santos sub, Santos inside the distance. What do you like? Yeah, I mean, I largely agree with you. Like I'm looking at Charlie's comments in the chat and he said, get a third round finish, Santos will gas. And it's like... <laughs> I, look at the last two guys Santos has gassed against. Roman Bogatov fought for a first at an absolutely insane pace. Um, so did Grant Dawson. He basically spent 15 minutes trying to grapple him, you know. Uh, Clay Gita sitting on the outside doing that dancing back and forth thing is not going to put the kind of pace out there that's going to force Santos to gas. That's just the reality here. 
Could Gita try to wrestle him? Yes. I don't think he can take him down, though. And if he can, look, Clay Gita has had a penchant for putting his neck in submissions for his entire career. Um, I, I just, I'm kind of with you. Like, it's a 41-year-old, and, like, I don't, don't, I don't really want to lay chalk on a 41-year-old, but I really struggle to see where Gita has success here, you know? Like, he, even his out, he just lost a fucking... I was on him huge against Mark Madsen, <laughs> and he just lost a striking decision to Mark Madsen, okay? Mm. Uh, I have rid rode with Clay many, many times. I love Clay Guida. He's one of my favorite fighters. I, I just This is one of the worst possible matchups you could possibly give him, though. Um, he's not a guy he can wrestle. It's not a guy he can outstrike technically. Like He's going to need to do it on pace, and the reality is Guida's pace isn't really what it once was. You know, He got outstruck by 25 strikes by Mark Madsen at range. Like That's... Leo Santos is a different kettle of fish than Mark Madsen is all I'll say. Um, I, yeah, I, I just really, you know, maybe I'll be wrong. And look, I know, I know somebody, uh, one of, one of our, our mutual friends is on the Gita side of things, but I, I'll, I'll tell you offline because he sells picks. So I don't want to. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But I don't see it personally. Um, I just don't think he has the volume that he's going to need to out, to basically outweigh the damage that Santos is going to do, and I don't think he can take him down. Uh, I like the Santos ITD. I like the Santos sub as well. Uh, Guida's been hurt a million times in his career. Yeah. This is a different kind of power, and it's a different level of jiu-jitsu. I think uh, Santos handles him, to be honest. It was absolutely hilarious seeing that fight with Jim Miller, where he hurts Jim Miller early, and then Jim Miller hurts him <laughs> back, and then gets the sub. Like, I was all there, within, what, a minute? I was oh, you're there? Dude, dude, if you rewatch that fight and they go over the crowd, I'm there and you can see me like this. Like, yeah, no but... way, I gotta <laughs> yeah. see that. I gotta, I gotta watch that back. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, no, uh, I'm not sure where the hesitancy on Santos is coming from from a lot of people, especially considering he gave Grant Dawson his toughest test to date. Grant Dawson's been Grant taking Dawson's fools down. Grant Dawson is fucking serious. Yeah, he's been taking fools down and just wrecking them. And you had, uh, you know, so many uh, issues trying to do that here against Santos. So, yeah, I, I like Santos in this spot. Uh, and glad we are on the same page. And I'm making a note to go back and watch that Jim Miller Clay Guida footage so I can see you in your misery. But <laughs> let's move on to the next right here. We got Jimmy Crute going up against Jamal Hall. Jamal Hall Hill. Uh, in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 165 for Crute, plus 145 for Hill. This is a fight. Personally, I'm just staying away from because I feel there is some sort of a market overcorrection here on the Jamal Hill side of things who's always chalk in his fights. And now all of a sudden he gets his arm broken by Paul Craig and everybody thinks he's absolute dog shit. Um, it, it could happen, right? Like if Jimmy Cruz successfully gets his fight to the ground, he could probably tie him up in a pretzel or take him home or something like that. But uh, on the feet, you know, Jamal, you got to believe Jamal Hill has a bit of an advantage, right? The length, the reach, the the ability to kind of just keep his opponents at bay and use his length to his advantage. He has decent distance management as well. I believe he's still a little bit green, but he his striking has shown that he can he can stay safe in those positions. However, if Jimmy Crude is able to hit that submission. Or, or hit the takedown. The submission should come quickly thereafter. I do think he's pretty uh, well-versed on the ground. I think Jamal is still trying to work that part of his game out. But again, it, it, it how much can we really pull from Paul Craig pulling guard and then breaking his arm? Like, are we ultimately just going to say that Crude is going to go out there and, and molly whop him on the floor just because we saw that? We haven't really seen Jamal Hill in any trouble since that fight or before that fight. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's... Do we trust Jimmy Crute's ability to get this fight to the ground? Personally, I don't yet, and he might be able to win me over this weekend. Uh, but at minus 165, I don't want to touch it. 
I just want to sit back and watch this fight. People are saying violence in this fight. The only thing that does give me qualms is if uh, Jamal Hill does tough takedowns, does get back to his feet, and then just keeps the fight at range and, and kind of picks apart Jimmy Crude at range. I am, you know, you know, people are looking to us for predictions and looking to see what we think is the most likely thing to happen. Um, I think it's the Crude by submission, honestly. Crude submission plus 250. Uh, I do think he gets the fight to the ground. Plus, uh, Sorry, Crude inside the distance plus 115 as well. Again, I think if this fight does hit the mat and he is as good as I think he is, he should be able to get Jamal Hill out of there. But I just don't have the confidence or enough evidence to back that up for me because one Paul Craig fight is not going to change my mind. Uh, so I'm taking Crude, but no bet. Sit back and watch. How do you feel about this one? Yeah, I'm pretty confident in Crude, to be honest. Um I, I'm probably going to bet him if I'm being completely honest. I, I just, it, it's very, Hill's a very, very weird prospect because he does some things that I absolutely love for the weight class. Like obviously his boxing and output and cardio are just things you don't really see at 205. But at the same time, I think even on the feet, he has some really bad defensive tendencies with where he keeps his head. You know, he circles off the wrong way sometimes. Um, he's there to be hit, man. He just hasn't really fought anybody to bite the mouthpiece. And in terms of the grappling, I mean, Hill really hasn't shown any ability to grapple, in my opinion. First of all, you know, his grappling decision-making with the Craig fight was incredibly suspect. Uh, Stosich took him down six of nine times, and, you know, he got up, but his get-up, I wasn't really impressed with his get-up. I mean, Stosich basically took him down and didn't try to stop grab his wrist. I mean, if you don't get wrist control, anybody can just get a butt scoot and get up on you. It's not that hard, you know? Um, and we saw there is some footage regionally of him grappling, and it didn't look pretty um on top of which now we know he was injured for before up until like a month ago he said he had a really rough camp i just heard that the other day uh and now he's fighting a guy in jimmy crew who actually is a good wrestler and you know actually has a good top game and a good submission game um he's not gonna be able to butt scoot to the fence here we gets taken down and i do think crew can put him down whenever he wants uh, on top of which our our boy sean Orr said uh, on my pod the other day that he knows somebody who said Crute's definitely going to be looking to sub him here, which makes me think he's going to grapple. And if I'm certain Crute's going to grapple, I think he can, he's going to do bad things to him. To be honest, it's a little weird to me that Crute is a smaller fave against Jamal Hill than he was against Anthony Smith. Um, I think Anthony Smith would handle Jamal Hill, if I'm being completely honest. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, the bottom line is there's a huge grappling advantage here. I keep hearing people talk about Crute's cardio, but it's like I've seen Crute grapple for a hard 15 before. I'm not saying it's good. But he's also not a guy who's like death gassing and dying in there either, you know. And the bottom line is if the grappling is what I suspect it to be, I don't think it's going to be that taxing for Crute. And I think a sub is fairly likely. And even on the feet, look, I favor Hill. He's the better striker on the feet. But Crute hits really fucking hard and Hill is there to be hit. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Crute should be. I don't know, like 70% or so here. So I'm going to probably play him. I like the sub look a lot. Uh, look, he's going to grapple. He's going to get top time. I don't think he'll knows what he's doing on bottom. So yeah, I like Jimmy group. All right. All right. Way more conference than I have, but we shall see how it plays out this weekend. All right. Uh, co-main event time. Very excited about this one. We got Rafael Fiziev going up against Brad Riddell. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 120 for Fiziev, plus 100 for Brad Riddell. It was pretty much a pick 'em throughout uh, uh, throughout fight week. Um, I just want to quickly pull up and see what they actually dropped 
yeah, they had Fiziev drop as a plus 110 underdog and then money obviously coming in on him just to make him a slight favorite here. Uh, interesting fight, right? On paper, both guys, strikers, they like to go out there and use their Muay Thai. Former training partners, they used to train over there at Tiger Muay Thai, so they're very familiar with each other. And there's even footage of them actually training together on YouTube that you guys can look up. But again, it's just light sparring, nothing crazy uh, that will give us an indication of how this fight should go. But there's always that one like mental aspect of when you guys know you've trained together and you know that one guy has that one up you on you in the gym that could potentially play in the in the cage here. And I'm interested to see if one guy actually has that kind of uh that thing over them. Uh, I believe it was Andre Arlovsky and Travis Brown that had a similar thing where Travis Brown was absolutely wrecking Andre in the in the training room, but then when the fight actually happened, Andre Arlovsky came out and just wrecked him uh probably one of the my favorite fights to ever watch if you guys haven't seen that andre alovsky travis brown i definitely suggest watching that but in, in this specific mic um rafael faziev usually starts out pretty hot throws in combinations really likes his body kicks and his leg kicks uh but as the fight starts to wear on and he deals with resistance he starts to slow down and we obviously saw in the in the bobby green fight uh whereas brad Riddell, it's almost the opposite right he almost digs himself into a hole early in fights but then is able to get himself out of it in the second and third rounds really putting the pressure on his opponents and he doesn't throw as much combinations as rafael faziev but he's very disciplined in terms of waiting and finding the proper openings to explode and throw you know absolute heat in his strikes and i think he could do that here pretty effectively against faziev I'm impressed also with his uh, uh, improvements in his wrestling game to get him out of bad positions, as we saw in the Drew Dober fight, and even to use it kind of defensively as well uh, to get back to his feet and get back to a striking game. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes out there and tries to take Fiziev down just to mix it up a little bit. But in terms of the striking, I think that will get the more impactful and better shots from the Riddell side here. And I actually do have a bet on Riddell here at plus 110, as I do think he should be the side in this spot. Uh, and I'm not even ruling out a possible Riddell finish later in this fight, as we've seen uh Fiziev, like i said slow down not slow down to the extent of uh gadzmarad antagulov or anything like that but still slow down enough that i feel like a guy like riddell could definitely take advantage of that we've seen him hurt guys late in fights in the past and even get finishes late in fights in the past and i think that it's absolutely live here against Fiziev as well uh Fiziev has had this hype tax on him for uh since that fight against mark dia casey but i'm glad that the public and the odds makers are giving riddell the respect he deserves as well because this is going to be a very competitive fight but i think as the fight goes on riddell will start to uh, pull away with it. So the two spots that I'm looking at, uh, I think the obvious one here is Riddell by decision, um, which currently sits at uh, plus 190. Uh, but I'm going to be sprinkling that round three prop here uh, for Riddell as well, which the last time I saw it was uh, roughly around plus 2200. I'm seeing plus 1700 now as well. Got to take a little bit of a sprinkle on that because I do think he will be the the one winning the exchanges in the third round and possibly be able to put away Fiziev as well. So uh, I like Riddell. Riddell decision is the spot, but uh, I do think the round three is live here as well. What do you think about this matchup? Yeah, I love Riddell here, to be honest. Uh, the bottom line is, look, I mean, Patrick Moran just put it in the chat, but, you know, Bobby Green outlanded Javier um, Pizziev in all three rounds in that fight. Uh, yeah. Actually, if you actually rewatch that fight, the third round was very clear, but actually the first two rounds were quite close. You know, Green got hurt in round two, which is why he lost it. The first round was pretty much a 50-50. Uh, I kind of think it's a similar dynamic, except I think, Bradley is more reliable to cut angles and throw combinations than Green is. You know, Bobby was doing a lot of countering, a lot of single shot stuff, whereas Brad is going to actually make Fizia pay for a lot of those naked kicks he throws. Um, the bottom line is I don't think the boxing is close at all. So much of Fizia's game is based around aesthetics. And by that, I mean it's a lot of big actions and big movements that look good to judges. But if you actually kind of watch his fights like second to second, and he knocked out Moicano 
but he's not really hurting many other people. You know, it's a lot of kicks to the body, a lot of kicks to the legs. He doesn't do much work with his hands. And I think that's partially because he just doesn't have very good defense in the pocket um, as such. And he uses kicks to great effect, but he's not going to, he throws a lot naked. Like I said, he's just not going to get off on those against Riddell, in my opinion, he's going to get punished for them. Um, on top of that, you know, Riddell tends to build as fights go. He starts to get reads and he tends to get better as fights go on. We see it in just about every fight. He tends to start a little slow while he's making those reads and then pick up steam. While Fiziev just, I mean, he hasn't won a round three in his career yet. I mean, he lost that round three on two cards against Alex White, for fuck's sake. Um, you know, yeah. he lost round three to Mark Jacasey. He lost to Bobby Green. You know, the guy slows down every fight. So it's like, I favor Brad dramatically <clears throat> in round three. I think round one is competitive. I don't like it's not. This is not a case where I'm like, oh, you know, Fizzy has a heavy favorite in rounds one and two. No, I think round one's probably competitive. I favor Riddell in two once he's got his reads down there. I think of the two, look, Riddell's been hurt before, but he recovers very fast. And like I said, you know, Dober's a much better boxer than Fizzy is. Um, Malarkey is terrible, but Malarkey is durable and will bite the mouthpiece and go at you. Fiziev is not going to be going into the pocket for extended exchanges here. So I'm not really that worried about Brad getting finished. Um, I think he's far more likely to finish Fiziev. His output's more reliable. I think he hits harder. He's clearly the better boxer. He has better cardio. Um, I just think he's much more skilled. And if anybody in this fight's got bra- grappling upside, it's obviously Brad. So, I mean, it's for me, I think this should – I'm not saying Fiziev can't win. Obviously, he's dynamic enough striker that he could finish Brad early here, maybe edge two close rounds and win a decision. Those that's in play for sure. But just the dynamic of the fight and the fact that, like, I know Brad's the better boxer and he's going to have big success and he's going to punch Fiziev in the face a lot. Plus, he's almost a lot to win round three. I think he should be close to minus 200, if I'm being honest here. I love Riddell. Um, I don't mind Riddell by KO. I'll probably take a small sprinkle on round three just because, you know. Look, we do see Fiziev gassed, and I kind of have the feeling if Fiziev's in the as dire straits as he was against Bobby, you know, Bobby plays with his food, he talks, he poses, he does all the Bobby Green bullshit. Riddell it does have killer instinct, though. He is not going to let you off the hook, and he's going to go for it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's a pretty good chance he's going to finish him here. Uh, I also just wouldn't be surprised if he walked Fiziev onto a counter early in this fight and just put him out, to be honest. Yeah, I love Brad Riddell here. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same side here. I thought it was going to be a very tough fight to break down once I actually saw these guys match up. But once you run the tape, it's it's a little evident how this could possibly play out. But my concern is if Fiziev survives and his potential output that he's able to put. Because, again, in combinations, he just put out uh, some decent numbers. Again, Bobby Green is a, is a different exception to that. I think that Riddell is a little bit more disciplined and and uh, not gun-shy per se, but doesn't throw as much volume as a... As a um, as a Bobby Green, that's my slight concern if Fiziev wins those first yeah. two rounds and then survives that third, which is an absolute possibility, which is why the line is as close to this as it is. But hopefully it plays out closer to how we uh, we do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Fiz- I mean, Fiziev's good. Don't get me wrong. I just think Riddell is on another level, you know, in my opinion. I, I just think he's just a much more seasoned, polished striker than Fiziev is. Yeah. All right. Main event time, and again, another opportunity to remind the 150 live viewers that we currently have in here. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then show my guy John some love as well. Check out his Club and Sub podcast every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. Link is in the description below for their YouTube channel. So make sure you guys go show them some love. All right, main event time. 
Rob Font, Jose Aldo, minus 140 for Font, plus 120 for Aldo. Um, I believe we, we were seeing some very interesting line movement on this. Uh, minus 185 is what Rob Font opened up at. And then our ton of love came in for uh, Jose Aldo, as expected, especially with the name value that he has. Uh, you'd expect people would be betting him at a high line. But once the line starts to get closer here, then you start to question, okay, what are his chances really to win this fight? It is tough to make a case to bet him uh, in a five-round fight, to be honest, especially considering he hasn't won one in the last five years. Uh, but then again, when you look at the guys that are that are beating him, they usually pick up their pace later in fights. Max Holloway and uh, and Purion to, uh, of note are the guys who are able to get him out of there. Rob Font in his last couple of fights has been able to show a similar type of style in terms of picking up his volume as the fight seems to go on. And you know, by all indications in that fight against Cody Garbrandt, his cardio looked great to go a full 25 minutes. And I think he could be able to do that here against Jose Aldo. But, you know, Aldo looked in fine fashion last time around against Pedro Munoz. I think it was his career best performance in terms of significant strikes landed, 114. And I did, uh, you know, some quick number crunching in and all the 25 minute fights that he's been in, in his career. I, I think, I believe since his WEC days, he only averaged about 77 significant strikes per fight. And he just absolutely blew that out of the water here against Pedro Munoz. I think that has to do in part with Pedro Munoz's style, which is the guy's just very hittable, right? Like the guy just plods forward, throws big shots and just waits to kind of, you know, waits for his yeah. opportunity to land his big shots, which is why Jose Aldo was able to get off on on certain occasions. But there's a certain part in round three where you see them take a solid minute to minute and a half off, where they're just kind of moving around. Pedro Munoz isn't throwing anything. It seems like Jose Aldo's just waiting to get his energy back so that he can throw some more. And uh, that that is just something that I was able to notice there. It's I feel as though Rob Font can can replicate the Max Holloway and Purion type of thing in terms of elevating his striking output every single round. I don't think he's going to be able to get Aldo out of there, but I do think he'll be able to win at least round three, four, and five in this spot and, and come away with a win. But I am not at all sacking up to bet against Jose Aldo, especially uh, after coming off that type of performance, right? This isn't a Max Holloway. This isn't a Purion. This is Rob Font, who we're still trying to figure out, is he the goods, right? Like, it's he has a decent winning streak going on, but he beat a Corey Garbrandt that's just never been the same since King knocked out by TJ Dillashaw. This is a st legit step up in competition. People want to continuously say that Jose Aldo's washed, but he continues to go out there and has solid performances against guys that he should be going out there and beating, right? So I'm not I'm not looking to fade Jose Aldo at minus 140 here with, with Rob Font, but I am picking Font to win. I think if you are playing Font, I think Font via decision is probably the best way to go about it, which I currently uh which is currently sitting at plus 195, plus 200, depending on where you're getting your odds from. Jose Aldo is, is live in the spot too, though, because like his body work is insane. And I could absolutely see him dropping Rob Font with one of those strikes and, and getting an early finish in this fight where the cardio won't even come into play. So that is absolutely on the table in this spot. That's why I'm not willing to uh to to really take the shot here on, on Font. I am picking him to win. I am picking him to win by decision. That's where it stops for me. I just want to sit back and see is Rob Font the goods or is Jose Aldo like is he a, a new person? I know he's 35 years old and he really needs to get it together, but can he still go out there and beat guys that are not named Max Holloway or Pierre Young? And we'll find out tomorrow night with, with Rob Fun. So I'm on the Fun side. Output, volume, runs three, four, five, you should win, and then uh, take home a decision. How are you feeling about this one? Yeah, I mean, I lean Aldo. I wouldn't call it like a super, super passionate take. Like I 100% can see the... Um, the font, you know, kind of being able to mimic the the Jan and Holloway game plan. The problem for me is like 
Font's just not nearly as good as those two guys are, you know? Uh, like, for on the Holloway side of things, Holloway's so fucking durable. He doesn't care if you counter him. He's going to take the counter and throw a seven-punch a seven combination at you. That's just kind of his game. And, like, the reality is Aldo just doesn't have the cardio to keep up at Max's pace. Um, if he can't, you know, deter your volume with, you know, his traditional work or his counters, he's going to be in trouble. And on the Jan side, look, Jan is just such – an elite striker it's unbelievable um and but that fight was very competitive you know that was competitive until pretty much the middle of the fourth round when the kind of the tank just went on him but yeah i'm not really convinced look something stack guys tend to and i i say this as a stack guy but a lot of guys who cite stats you know they'll talk about aldo's output but what they don't contextualize really is that Aldo does an elite job of suppressing volume. He's got great head movement and he also makes you pay. Like, you know, this is kind of what I was talking about earlier with empty volume. Like if you let guys get volume off on you for free, well, then you're fucked. You don't get free volume off on Jose Aldo though. Like nobody just walks up to Jose Aldo and jabs him a bunch. Uh, Font's going to get count. If Font tries to do what he did to Cody, he's going to get countered over the top of that jab a lot. And I have this suspicion that after he eats one or two rights over the top, he's going to be a lot more tentative about going in there. Now, if I'm wrong and it just turns out Font can go into Terminator mode and pressure him and just, you know, break him, then that's what's going to happen. I don't think I am though, man. I mean, Cody was landing his counters over the top when he let his hands go. He was landing. Um, I think Aldo's going to land a lot here when he wants to. Um, Of the two guys, the only one who's going to be doing real attritional work is Aldo. You know, I don't look, if you told me Aldo was going to come out here and throw 50 leg kicks, I'd be very confident in this spot. But, you know, the reality is Jose Aldo's leg kicking is inconsistent at best these days. But, you know, the run of mine is he will throw some leg kicks. He will throw to the body a lot. Um, I don't really think, you know, Cody pretty much let Font do whatever he wanted. I don't think Font is going to be nearly as fresh come round four in this fight as he was in the Garbrandt fight. Uh, He's going to have to walk through fire in this fight. Um, And on top of which, look, Jose Aldo... I get it. We all want to say slow. First of all, he's only a year older than Rob Font is. Yeah. Second of all, yeah. Second of all, you know, the guys that are beating Jose Aldo, Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, Peter Yacht, these are like the best fucking guys in the world. Cody Garbrandt, look, I like Cody, but Cody is like a broken fighter. Like you rewatch that fight and then he just looks I, he just doesn't look like he's trying to grapple and then he gasses himself out pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And then he had kept ducking down, like trying to throw the counter. Okay. It's like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Um, and, and the other fonts on run on fonts run, you know, Mariah's basically dropped to a jab, but his durability has gone. And then he beat Ricky Simone, who again, I like, but Ricky Simone, if you watch that fight actually had a lot of success boxing Rob font. That's a pretty bad look considering he's about to fight Jose Aldo, you know? Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, my thing is, I understand the font angle, but Aldo is the better fighter. And so it's like, yes, he could slow down and lose this fight, or he could just win three rounds and then, you know, slow down and lose the last two. I don't think font is nearly the same danger late in the fight that Peter Yan or Max is. Could he finish him late? Sure. I don't think it's, but, I, but you know, look, I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I'd be surprised if font finishes him late. Me neither. And like, look, Dude, look at the Rafael Sunsell fight with Rob Font. Look at the John Lineker fight. Font's fought some good strikers and broken against them before. I mean, he got outlanded at distance 40 to 20 by Rafael Sunsell in a fight that was at distance for 11 minutes. You know, people want to cite volume, but what happened there? You know, it's, I don't know. I kind of like Aldo. I'm going to take a small poke at his money line. I actually like his decision line a lot, though. You know, he hasn't won many recently, 
But the bottom line is he's won, I think, five title fights by decision throughout his career. I, I think Font's durable enough that he probably stays up. But like I said, um, I really think that how those, how those counters are going to deter a lot of Font's volume here. And I think you're going to get a more low-paced fight than what people are expecting here. So I like Aldo. I like Aldo by decision. Again, not huge. It's not the most confident take in the world. But I'm getting one of the best fighters ever as an underdog to Rob Font. So that was my thinking when I bet him against Jeremy Stevens. Like that was yeah. hilarious that he was an underdog to Jeremy Dude. Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I, it's so funny. I was chatting with somebody last night about that. And I was just like, I had just kind of just started betting MMA and didn't really know what I was doing. And it's like in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, like Jose Aldo minus 110 against Jeremy Stevens would be the biggest bet of my life. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know? Yeah, I, that's the thing that I'm always scared of. I'm like, are we writing him off a little bit too early here? And even though I'm picking Font, again, it's not a confident take at all. Like, I, I think that although yeah. it can be very competitive, and in a fight where will Font be able to pull a, put a Max Holloway slash Peter Yaw type of pace on him? Probably not. Like, his his striking does go up, but is it as 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 lethal and is it as intimidating as it is coming from a guy like Max Holloway and Peter Yon? And I think Jose Aldo will be able to see right through that. So... Yeah, I, I I want nothing to do with this fight. If anything, I'm looking at overs. Other than that, I'm not looking. I don't care about this fight in that aspect. Yeah. I just want to see. Be fun. Yeah, exactly. It should be a it should be a fun fight for sure. All right, that's a wrap on the breakdowns, and let's swing on over to the uh, best bets and prop. Oh, sorry, not best bets and props. Sorry, the three best prop bets that we currently have. And luckily enough, shout out to our guy Cody Saftik. He is sharing his props with us for this week, so I can share that Ooh. with you guys. Uh, but. Let's get into the uh, the ultimate weigh-in show with the guest that we're going to have for tonight. Uh, I, I pulled a big one again. We got our guy Mark Montoya from Factory X Muay Thai, uh, uh, head coach oh. Brian Moival, Alexander Hernandez, uh, Austin Thud Hubbard, if I'm not mistaken. A ton of guys in this table over there at Factory X, so I can't wait to pick his brain for the fights tonight. He's excited. He's looking forward to it as well, so hopefully we can get some good insight from him. Very excited about pulling this one. I've been, he, when I was looking at coaches... He was top three, top three coaches that I wanted to get on the show. And I'm happy that he was able to uh, pull it off. Shout out to our guy, James Cross, as well, for helping me reel him in as well. Because when James fights, Mark Montoya is in his corner as well. So uh, shout out to Montoya. Really looking forward to that one. All right. Let's get to the three best prop bets. Uh, and I'll kick things off as always. Uh, first and foremost, I got smoke by sub plus 365. Again, that's being a little bit greedy. I think inside the distance is probably the way to go, but I do like the submission prop as I do think that once he gets him to the ground, he should be able to find that neck. Uh, I'm sure Vince Morales will give up his back at a certain point, and then at that point, Smoke will find that submission. Uh, after that, I got Wells v. Decision plus 605. I think that line is way out of whack, uh, especially if Wells doesn't go out there and start him in the first round, which, again, is, is kind of tough to do against a guy like Jake Matthews. Again, we know he's been finished, but most of his finishes or most of the times he's been finished have come from him exhausting in that third round and then getting finished. But Wells has a little bit of a cardio issue himself. I'd be surprised if he musters up anything outside of a first round knockout, which is why I like that decision at plus 605. Uh, and then lastly, I like uh, Leonardo Santos via submission at plus 315. Similar to the Smoko one, inside the distance is probably the better way to go just to cover that possible knockout scenario. But I could see a possible club and sub scenario here again, especially considering that Clay Guida likes the club and sub, apparently. Uh, but yeah, those are the three best prop outs that I like. Um, next up. Yeah. So, uh, John, let's go. 
First up, I got the King of Rio via decision, plus 250. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I don't really think Font's going to get off the kind of volume people are expecting. I think Galdo's going to suppress it. I think he's going to win minutes. I think he's going to probably win the first three rounds and maybe even be able to continue it on late. But, yeah, I like Aldo by decision here. Uh, Knight Menafield, I love Fico's the distance here, to be honest. Uh, Menafield's overrated as a hitter because he looks like a Goliath. Uh, Knight, also not a huge hitter. I'm expecting either these guys to have a very low outside kickboxing pace or for Menafield to do Menafield things and keep bobbing into the clinch. Either way, I don't really expect a ton of heavy exchanges. I actually think this should be a favorite number. And then last up, I have Patolo via decision. Uh, I love Maki in the spot. I love him on the money line. I think he should win minutes here fairly easily. And I actually think Dusko is fairly durable. Um, despite the Puna fight, Dusko held up pretty well against Gregory Rodriguez, who's probably a bigger, bigger hitter than Maki. I think decision plus 450 is crazy, and there is a ton of meat on that bone. So, yeah, Aldo decision, Knight Manifield goes the distance, and Patola via decision. Uh, A.K.A. John Singh, a long night of fights is what, <laughs> what he's trying to yes. say here. Yes. All right, let's uh, let's get to Cody's props here again. Uh, I'll do my best to give his thoughts on it. But if you guys do want to hear his thoughts, go check out his Doggo Pass podcast. They drop a Paul Shaughnessy earlier this week. But first of which, he likes Cop and Zumagulov. If I go to decision at minus 140, I think that's a great line. And obviously yeah. a very great prop as well. That's a prop that I'm on myself. Uh, secondly, he likes Riddell by decision, plus 200. So he's on the same boat as us there as well. And then lastly, he likes Metafield by decision at plus 380, which isn't a bad spot either. Again, uh, John likes the over and the fight goes to decision. I like the same as well. If you're going to pick a side, I think you got to go with the Metafield side here. Yeah. And at plus 380, I think that's a great line as well. All right. There we go. That's a wrap on the prop show. Appreciate you guys joining us on this Monday morning, or sorry, this Friday, Friday. morning slash afternoon. I don't know where the fuck I'm getting money from. Money from again? Can you tell I just woke up like two hours ago? Fuck. Uh, uh, John, I'll give you the platform here. Anything you want to say on the back end, and then I'll wrap this thing up. Yeah, guys, just uh, follow us, Club and Sub Podcast. They're in the description below. We do it every Wednesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern. It's usually myself, Lag, C, and Luke. Lately, a lot of stuff's been going on, so it's been pretty inconsistent with who's been on the show. But hopefully, we'll have the whole group back next week. It's every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. And good luck on your bets this weekend, everyone. Absolutely. Again, I love watching that club and sub show. And again, you guys are really got struck with some bad luck in terms of everybody <laughs> just getting fucked up in some sort of way. But I'm glad that you guys are all still together and still making this thing work. Um, all right. Uh, on behalf of myself and John, make sure you guys uh, check out uh, uh, the, the Ultimate Wayne Show tonight. Sorry, at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. That's where we're gonna, when me and Mark are going to be going live tonight. Make sure you guys check that out. And then tomorrow as well, 1 p.m. Eastern for a fight day live chat. Uh, John, appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this. I know you're. Uh, busy uh <laughs> but appreciate you doing that appreciate everybody checking out the stream this uh this morning and yeah weigh-ins are about to kick off in about 10 minutes so make sure you guys Sick. go tune in and see what happens over there uh good luck on your best this weekend i'll see you guys tonight for the ultimate weigh-in show war uh brad riddell let's go with brad riddell this week let's brad go brad. Riddell, bring it on home baby let's go later guys